Welcome. I am your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOT, and joined, as always, by my guy, Cody Saftik. You guys can follow him at CJ Saftik on Twitter, and we are here propping you up for UFC Vegas 58, headlined by the Battle of Rafael's. We got Rafael Dos Anjos taking on Rafael Fiziev. This is a fight that's been in the making for a couple months now, you know, ever since Fiziev got that win over Brad Riddell, and even before that, if I'm not mistaken, they've been trying to put this fight together, and finally, we're getting it this weekend. Knock on wood, nothing happens where they bow out, because I believe it's been booked at least two or three times to this point, but there are a couple other fun fights sprinkled out throughout the card. Uh, you know, Saeed Nurmagomedov is always a treat to watch. We saw him go out there and steamroll Cody Stamen last time around. Uh, Michael Johnson trying to continue this redemption tour by taking on Jamie Malarkey, fellow Canadian Eamon Zahabi, coming out from under his rock once again, taking on Ricky Tercios uh, and a couple other fun fights sprinkled throughout. The one that I'm looking forward to the most, Cody, is the uh, the curtain jerker here, the first fight of the night, Ronnie Lawrence against Saeed Jokob Kakramanov. Before we get into the fights, though, how are you doing, my friend? What what, what have you been up to? Uh, what's been keeping uh, Cody Saftik busy uh, over the last week? Yeah, so the dogger... Okay, so we went on that heater and we were like, you know, let's let's test our luck. So everyone kept messaging me being like, dude, you got like mad luck right now. We need to capitalize right now. Let's buy a lottery ticket right now. So we bought a racehorse. But it was a baby horse, ineligible to race. We paid $32,000 Canadian. We've probably sunk in about another 18000 into the horse. So it's like a $50,000 investment for us at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, he looks to be a, a fine horse indeed. So there's three levels to it, right? You can be a gold horse, you can be a grassroot horse, you can be a prospect horse. The gold horses, they're going to race five times this year for a hundred thousand dollars, hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand dollars finals, $300,000. So six races in total. Those are your gold events. Your grassroots all go for 22.5 with a $75,000 grassroots final. Your prospect go for like 6,500 bucks. There's a $25,000 prospect final, right? So you're for the season, you're trying to hopefully be a gold colt, right? And then take it from there. So we trained him down. He trained like an absolute animal. He's healthy. He's hungry. He likes his work. He's coming out of it seemingly pretty good. So we qualified him last week and qualified. We were hoping to go two minutes. He went 56. So this week uh, we put him in a gold, right? He's going for $102,000 on Saturday. Nine o'clock is the race. And he's going to race one gold here. Hopefully comes out of it good. And then there's a gold on July 18th. Then there's a month before the next one and there's some other races in between so you know we're dreaming we're absolutely dreaming but at the same time like there's a chance this horse could make one dollar or a million dollars like he's yeah. kicking some serious ass right now so that's got a lot of my focus coming off a pretty decent pay-per-view last week would have absolutely bent over that card if not for robbie lawler like fuck dude just oh, shoot the takedown and slow so down dude. the momentum slow down yeah. the momentum it's called a, a veteran savvy move now nah, what do i know i don't know i don't shit Robbie's the man, so whatever. It is what it is. <clears throat> but uh, the card was still pretty good. Hit the top two tickets. Uh, the PFL, Rory McDonald, like questionable. I'm now trying to avoid guys with questionable ring IQ, right? Sean Strickland, last week, we avoided him. Cool with that. Cool with that. Um, some of these other guys, like this week, same thing. I'm just trying to avoid the guys that are prone. They might have the skill set, my friend. But if they're going to go out there and blow it, who knows? Props from last week. I know you're going to do a quick little recap here. But, uh, yeah, technically we got a, a push on Sean O'Malley by decision. Like, probably on his way to decision. Lost the first, winning the second. Looks like he'll yeah. probably win the third and just kind of cruise. Got a push on that one. Ian Gary by decision, plus 200. That scores. Good but, hit. unfortunately, Uriah Hall straight up just got taken down. Which uh, we knew we knew was a possibility. We were just yeah. hoping a little bit of magic. 
end of the second, I was like, there it is. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> Just there's not enough time. There's not enough time. And unfortunately, this game is based on time. So you run out of it. Shit happens. You notice as soon as you heard the 10-second uh, clapper at the ending of the third round, then he decides to finally try to turn into him yeah. and start to do some work. Like, where was this a minute ago? Two minutes ago. Give yourself an opportunity to win. And he did not. He just It seemed like he was settling for those positions. He was defending well. You know, hats off to Andre Winners for getting him into those positions. But Hall did a good job of uh, defensively stopping any type of submission attempts or anything like that. But you know what, man? I, I I thought I thought you and I both did an excellent job of sniffing out the fact that Andre Muniz not that good, right? And we're yeah. trying to fade him. And what ended up happening is we still got the win, but everybody realized the same shit. It was like he's not that good. So he you're, again, your eye hall never been finished. We outlined that never been submitted. Uh, well, he had been finished, but never been submitted. Uh, he, good, very good takedown defense. Not good takedown defense. Good grappling defense. Right? Had uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. on his back for ten minutes. Right? So all of that proved to be true. Like he got mad out grappled, but at no point was he close to getting submitted. And this is your eye hall. So imagine it's like a legit top ten guy in the division. Right? If you take them down and they get back up, if they stuff your takedowns and they keep it standing. He's got no uh, striking. His chin is still very suspect, in my opinion. His grappling is good, but it's not godly. There's certain people where it's like fight hits the ground. It's like, ah, it's done. It's over. Yeah. There's certain people where it's like, okay, well, what if you can survive for three or four minutes and get out of the round? And then round two, stuff to take down. Work them, you know? That Draco Duplacy's. After the first round, I was like, I'm an idiot, man. Like, what is wrong with this? He's gassed. And every, everyone knows how quirky the guy is, but... Second and the third round, he made that shit work for him. <laughs> he just yeah. kept coming. He kept coming. I like backing guys that are going to go out there and put it on the line, right? Rory, he was very risk adverse. He didn't want to get hit. He couldn't get takedowns over a Swedish Muay Thai fight. Ah. You know what? Let's start a new, fresh chapter. <laughs> Talk about these fights, bud. I do quickly want to just finish up on uh, UFC 276 here because uh, your boy did sweep the three best bets. I got Stoli Renko plus 350. Mm. Uh, we're going to talk about her very soon as well. Uh, Volkanovski by decision plus 105. You know, plenty of times to you could stop that fight with how much blood was coming out of the face of Max Holloway. Career defining performance for Alexander Volkanovski that night. And then uh, Israel Adesanya, not given a fuck goes out there and wins a decision at plus 125. So I was happy with all three of my uh, my three best prop bets. But let's quickly go over the, the cloud bet props from this past week. Uh, shout out to cloud bet as well for supporting the show as always and giving us those special props just to make it a little bit better for you guys as well. Again, if you guys want to check out CloudBet, link is in the description below. All right, first and foremost was the hype train wins. Technically, only two of them won, so plus 114 cash is there. I'm not sure what they did in terms of the no contest for the O'Malley, but if you called exactly two, I'm assuming you would have cashed there. <laughs> Team America Parlay, all four don't win. That's probably the one that ends up cashing there at plus one, or minus 10,000. Team America Strikes. We were going with the under last time around, uh, if I don't, if I recall correctly, Cody. It was under 375 and a half significant strikes. They only get 257 because O'Malley fight ends pretty quickly. Well, a round and a half. Strickland gets deaded in two and a half minutes. Uh, Holloway and Cannonier can't get much striking off because they're dealing with absolute masterclass men across the cage from them. Uh, fastest finish on the main card goes to Alex Pereira at plus 650, starching Sean Strickland, who just did want nothing to do in terms of fighting a smart game plan with trying to get this fight to the ground. So he had to pay for it, and that's exactly how he pays for it. Fight of the night! Goes to Brian Barbarena and Robbie Lawler, plus 700 for a great fight there. Good volume from Bar uh, Brian Barbarena. Good, you know, resiliency from Robbie Lawler until it looked like he couldn't take anymore. And then, unfortunately, he faltered, and Brian Barbarena was able to get his hand raised there. 
Second slide here, we have uh, total submissions. We got over two and a half submissions to cast at plus 104. We got three total submissions that night. One from my girl, Yulia Stolyarenko. Uh, next up was Jim Miller. And then right after that, we got Jalen Turner smoking Brad Rudell really quickly and then getting the sub there. Uh, under four and a half KOs hits as only two KOs came through that night. Uh, total takedowns. So it was set at 26 and a half. The under hits very easily here with only nine completed takedowns on the entire fight card. Uh, you know, considering how slow of the, the first fight on the main card and the last fight of the main card were going, uh, you know, I thought we'd get more takedowns, but it is what it is. We only get nine. Now, fastest finish on the entire card. I got to go to the bank to, for this one, Cody. I got to do it. Fastest finish on the entire card. I got to go with... Strike is Duplessis. There you go. Duplessis is currently sitting at plus 1,700 to get the fastest finish on the card. I'm going to go. I'm going to have a, a, a hipster pick here. I'm going to go with Julius Toliarenko at plus 2,900. That is totally hipster, but I like it. <laughs> Shout out to my girl, Julius Toliarenko. 42 seconds. <laughs> to drag Jessica Rose Clark to the ground and snatch up that arm bar. Uh, Jalen Turner almost beat her out. He it was 45 seconds. She was 42 seconds, but uh, plus 2,900 cash is there for Elias Oliarenko, fastest finish on the card. What are you thinking there, Cody? Yeah, dude, that was crazy, man. That was uh, an excellent pick indeed. Um, again, you're, when you're, whenever we talk about picks at the end of the card, right, you always throw up some crazy-ass plus money pick, right? And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, could it hit? Maybe. What are the chances of it hitting? No. We both acknowledge this girl likes to throw up arm bars. Has good arm bars. Jesse Jess Rose Clark coming off a fight in which she rather quickly got first round arm bar, right? Possible? Yes. The price right? Yes. And if you're going to go and hit one of these, one in every 20 chances, you're going to come up profitable at the end of the day. So, man, congratulations. Uh, yeah, my pick not so good. Drykus uh, took a beating, then proceeded to put a beating on him. But yeah, yeah I mean that hey, fight ended up going first. Distance. First decision win in what twenty uh, something fights or eight in his in years. in his career, and like he wobbled he wobbled Brad Tavares a pile of times, but like he was tired. And Brad fought through it, and it was like credit to both guys. But again, same shit in the first round. Like he came out and just start shooting takedowns. So desperate for a takedown, he pulled Brad Tavares on top of him in the first yeah. and lost the round because of it. It was like. Yeah, that's not stuff I exactly uh, foresee coming. He's going to try to rest. And then they ask him afterwards, like, oh, you're trying to rest. He's oh, so much stronger than him. So much stronger than him. I said, rest. So much stronger, dog. He stuffed all of his takedown attempts and ended up on top of you. And then you couldn't get back up. What do you mean you're way stronger than him? Anyways, he won. That's all that matters. But of course, the sweet part about this game sometimes is the sweat. And, uh, you know, he decided to make it sweaty for me. It was definitely sweaty and a half, but uh, at least he gets his hand raised that night. That night. All right, let's... Not wasting any more time. We're 10 minutes into this podcast, and we haven't even talked about UFC Vegas 58. So let's get right down to it. Let's start off on the first fight of the card here, Cody. And we're going to be looking at Ronnie Lawrence going up against Saeed Jokob Kakramanov. In terms of odds, we got minus 140 now on Ronnie Lawrence, plus 120 on Kakramanov. Now, very interesting fight here because uh, it did start off as a pick em, And then as fight week started to go on, people started seeing those numbers that uh, Ronnie Lawrence likes to put up whenever he goes out there and fights because he's getting a tremendous amount of takedowns every time he's out there, right? Six takedowns in his last fight against Mondo Martinez, eight takedowns in his last uh, second last fight against Vince Cachero. And then as an underdog on the contender series back in 2020, pulls off. 12 takedowns against jose johnson you, you know what his game plan is cody <laughs> probably takedowns 
probably takedowns. But the reason, similar to Marab Devalishvili, the reason he's getting so many goddamn takedowns is his control is, you know, it could use some work. He got eight minutes of control time against uh, his last two opponents uh, on both occasions against Jose Johnson. He gets 10 minutes of control time. But the fact that these guys are still able to get up over and over again, forcing him to go for more and more takedowns is a little bit suspect to me. In this matchup in particular, right? Against other guys, sure. Maybe he can go out there and do that over and over again. That's why I could take him against Mano Martinez. That's why I could take him against a guy like Vince Cashero. But Saeed Jokov is no joke, man. The guy has a pretty good resume even before coming to the UFC. Um, I do like what I've been seeing from him. Obviously, one of his two losses on the regional scene was in PFL back in 2018 to Umar Namagomedov. But I would very much uh, tell people to go back and watch that fight because he made a good uh, a good image of himself that night right he made a good account of himself because he was able to stuff the majority of the take not stuff the majority of the takedowns but at least make it a competitive fight against umer that night you know a lot of people expected umer to just go in there and squash him but he didn't you know it was it was one of those armand sarukian versus islam mahachev types of fights where even in a loss the guy's stock rises and i really think it rose that night when uh, uh he went to that full decision against umer he did end up getting knocked out by pipe vargas in the third round uh two fights later but since then he's been able to put to put together three straight wins uh two of those over guys that are somewhat known to most of the uh, fans here he knocked out askar askar in 39 seconds the fight after the pipe vargas fight and then obviously made his debut in emphatic fashion finishing trevin jones in the third round of their fight in a fight that he came in on short notice that was the last time i went to vegas actually as well cody because that was the same night that i went to go watch uh the fights at the apex there and that's when he made his his uh, debut and i was very impressed from what i saw from him that night i think he's kind of the better striker in this fight i do think he'll have the chops to make this way more competitive in the grappling realm Ryan Lawrence might be able to land a couple of takedowns here and there, but I don't trust his ability to, you know, control this fight on the ground, meaning this will likely be, you know, judged based on how much damage is inflicted on the feet. And I honestly lean with the Saeed Jokob Kakramanov side. I do think he has the better striking, like I said. I think he can dish out more damage, and he might even land a takedown or two of his own. I'm not counting that out. So I'm liking the money coming in on the opposite direction because that means I'm likely going to get a better price on Saeed Yokob by the time the fights come around this weekend. He's going to be getting some of my underdog money here. In terms of a prop, I could see him possibly finding the chin of uh, Ryan Lawrence here. His KO prop is currently plus 400. But I honestly think it's going to go the full 15 minutes, but he's going to be the one landing the better damage. Kakramana by decision, plus 330. Sign me up. What about you, Cody? What do you like in here? Yeah, I got to go the opposite direction. I got to go with Ronnie Lawrence. Again, I know, I know uh, everyone's kind of jumping on the Ronnie Lawrence bandwagon. But, man, I've been with this kid for a while. Like, again, you go back to the Jose Johnson fight. Well, what's he going to want to do in this fight? 100% he's going to want to wrestle. Keep in mind, he came in as a plus 300 underdog against Jose Johnson. No one knew what to expect yeah. out of this guy. He comes from a striking background. But all of a sudden, he's at American Top Team. He's young. He's hungry. And he's developing. And all of a sudden, he's got a decent little wrestling game to a uh, to add to the mix. So I feel like since then, Ronnie Lawrence has really done a decent job of putting that all together, right? His next fight against Vince Cachero, bum, but they take down 77 significant strikes landed. All good stuff, right? The fight with Mana Martinez. So I discussed this to Paul yesterday. Mana Martinez was six and one as an amateur. All six amateur wins were all in the first round in less than two minutes. One of them in like 14 seconds, one of them in 20 seconds as a pro. The dude's got like 11 wins, something like 10 of them are by knockout, seven of them in the first round, two of them in the second, two of them in the third. Like he's got absolute dynamite power in his hands. So 
Ronnie wins the first two rounds very comfortably and then gets caught in the third. Does he have a suspect chin? I don't know. He took all of the shots. He got dropped twice. He persevered. He kept with it. But I'm just going to chalk it up to like good learning experience. Kakramanov, meanwhile, absolute beast. You nailed it 100%. Go back and watch the Umar Nurmagomedov fight uh, for World Series of Fighting. This kid's young at the time. Goes three rounds. Competitive. Might be 1-1 going into the third. Very competitive. Here's the thing is that he tires as that fight goes. Understandably so. His output's not quite there. But he comes from like a, uh, I believe it's like he was a USA under-17 cadet champion. So guy knows how to wrestle. Keeps the fight upright for the most part. But you've seen the output wane the longer the fight goes. His other loss is the same thing. You go back and you watch that WXC fight. Much of the same against Pipe Vargas. Starts off well. Longer the fight goes, he starts to fatigue. Gets caught with the flying knee in the third round. When he fought Trevin Jones, it's super low output. That's the thing I can't get around, right? Kakramanov in that fight landed 36 significant strikes and two takedowns. And it was, you know, almost went the full distance. I think it was like 21 seconds shy of it. But the volume wasn't quite there. So in this fight with Ronnie Lawrence, Ronnie's probably going to shoot the takedowns. Maybe he gets some. Maybe he doesn't. But the volume should be there. He's got faster hands. He's got better striking. He's got more output. And so I think that Ronnie Lawrence will win the fight, but win the fight by decision. I don't see him knocking out Kakramanov. I don't see him submitting him. I just see his work rate being superior to his and then therefore him getting the job done. So Ronnie Lawrence by decision plus 145, not a bad price tag at all. That's uh, the direction I end up going with. I like it. We got some dissension on the mm. first fight here, but uh, again, it's the fight that I'm most excited about because there is a clear uh, explanation for either side. So I'm very much excited to see how it ends up padding out once they shut the cage doors behind these guys. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We go from blistering bantamweights to uh, interesting light heavyweights. We got Kennedy and Zetchko going up against Carl Roberson uh, just as the Ronnie Lawrence line has started to widen as the fight week goes on. Kennedy and Zetchko's line has started to widen at minus 140. On the flip side, we got uh, Carl Roberson coming in at plus 120. Very difficult fight to call, especially whenever Kennedy and Zetchuku's fighting, right? A lot of his success has been tailored behind his physical attributes. Not maybe his his skills, maybe even a little bit on his heart too, right? If you want to go back and talk about that Carlos Alberg fight, he did go through a lot in that fight and still managed to storm back and get the W that night. But, you know, there are some things in his overall game that give you some pause, right? He loses his last fight to Nikolai Negomarianu. That was a very uh, tough fight for him to kind of get through. Uh, even the fight before that, like I said, against uh, uh, who was it? Da, da Yung gets just blistered with standing elbows three minutes into the first round of that fight. But uh, even in the Negomarianu fight, I want to go back to that one real quick. Negomarianu went one of five on takedowns, got three and a half minutes of control time, landed almost 30 significant strikes less than uh, and Zechiku and still ended up winning that fight. So very interesting statistics there to back up that uh, split decision loss for, for Kennedy and Zechiku. But I think that uh, uh, Kennedy is going to be at a, a striking, uh, technical striking disadvantage in this fight. I do think that Carl Roberson will be able to touch him up from the outside. Maybe just, uh, you know, blast that leg early and often here because he's going to be giving up some size here, right? If I'm not mistaken, we've seen Carl Roberson time and time, uh, or, or at least in the past fight at 185 pounds. Now he's settling up here at 205 pounds, but he's giving up four inches in height as well as nine inches in reach. So it's going to come down to Kennedy's ability to establish that range or at least just keep him intimidated from the outside by throwing big strikes. But I don't know if that's going to kind of cut it here. Kind of surprised at the line movement on this fight. I thought, if anything, people would go with the more technical 
technically better fighter here in Carl Roberson, which is what I'm going to ultimately do. Uh, but there's a couple props here that do intrigue me. Like, I do think that he could go out there and outpoint Kennedy and Zajuku with the better striking. So uh, Roberson by decision is plus 550. Roberson by submission at plus 450 is very intriguing to me as well because how long is he going to want to stay on the outside and deal with that nine-inch reach advantage? If he shoots for takedowns, I do think he could have some success with getting this fight to the ground. And then from there, I think he's the much better uh, grappler once these guys actually uh, get get to tussling on the mat here. I'm going to lean Roberson. I'm going to lean him by finish as well. I'll lean with the submission prop at plus 450. Um, but a lot of it's going to have to do with his possible grappling success. Not the greatest wrestler, but I still think he has the chops to go out there and get Kennedy's, Kennedy to the ground and uh, grind him out there eventually finding a submission after he gets that dominant position. What are your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, much of the same, to be honest with you. The problem is, is that and this card's full of them, right? There's a lot of guys that you just can't trust either way, and both these guys are in the exact same situation. Kennedy and Jaku has all the talent in the world. As you mentioned, the guy's absolutely humongous for the weight class. You know, six foot five. He's got a just a gigantic reach. He's got a massive reach advantage over most guys. He just doesn't really seem to be able to use it effectively. He doesn't fight rangey from the outside. Uh, the Dalton Jung fight, he allows himself to fight in close quarters with him and gets knocked out with an elbow. First time he's been knocked out, but also shows you like, okay, maybe his chin's not cast iron. The fight with Paul Craig once upon a time, I, I thought he was winning the fight. Bang, gas is out and he got caught in triangle. But Paul Craig has a tendency to do that to guys, so yeah. we'll give him a pass. The Alberg fight, Alberg punched himself out. Like if they were to rematch, especially what we've seen from Alberg in his uh, next two against Fabio Charant, obviously the um, this past weekend, if they were to fight again, you'd bet Alberg. You know, like he just kind of went out there, UFC debut, landed 140 significant strikes within six minutes, and then gassed out. Kenny took over. Kenny could take over if you tire yourself out. The Daniel Marquez fight. He loses probably the first two rounds. He's getting soundly out grappled. Daniel tires out and he catches him. So there's a lot of flaws to Kennedy's game. I always go back to how much potential the guy does have. He just doesn't really seem to like meet that potential. Carl Roberson, meanwhile, this guy made his like kickboxing debut in France against Jerome LeBanner and got robbed. Like he's an excellent kickboxer. He's a glory kickboxer. Didn't have much success with glory, but still was a pretty high level American kickboxer. As far as his skill set in the UFC, you don't really see the best of his kickboxing. You see him go out there and fight a bunch of suspect-ass game plans, like the wellington Terman fight. Why are you trying to grapple with yeah. wellington Terman when you have the clear striking advantage? But it's just like bad ring IQ. The uh, Brandon Allen fight. Why are you playing footsies with a leg lock guy? Like, why are you that was that would do that had me like banging my head against the wall. What are you doing? Carl this Robertson. dude is a kickboxer, but it seems like he's been working on his wrestling, working on his grappling, and he wants to use it. It's just you can't use it at this level. They're giving him tough guys. Brandon Allen's a badass. Marvin Vittori's a former title challenger. Um, he was this close to knocking on Glover Teixeira. Those dirty little elbows um, yeah. from like the Travis Brown style elbows. Glover topples over. He was almost done. This close to having a win over the former UFC champion. And unfortunately, he blows it after that, gets taken down, gets submitted shortly thereafter. So he's known to get into these big fights against top-level talent, but he's always coming up short against them. Him against Khalil Roundtree his last time out, in theory, good matchup for him, right? Because he's a kickboxer, Khalil's a kickboxer. This should at least be the kind of fight that he wants. He's not going to be worried about getting taken down, not going to be worried about submission attempts. Unfortunately, he ran into a Khalil Roundtree who, like, decided to give a fuck. <laughs> and Khalil <laughs> Roundtree, when he's motivated, like, oh, my God, he's a problem. This dude is thick, he's muscled up, he's got legitimate striking. Don't want to stand with him. So Carl Roberson got his ass beat pretty good by Khalil and got knocked down that fight. 
Coming into this fight with Kennedy, again, on paper, I would say he's a little more refined and polished as a kickboxer. Should be able to land the leg kicks from the outside. Should be able to touch him up a bit. Yes, huge reach, reach discrepancy, but it's in the apex, right? So it's like there's probably not going to be a ton of around to move. Against Brandon Allen, you can't outgrapple him. Against Marvin Vittori, you can't outgrapple him. Against Glover, Wellington, those guys you're not going to likely outgrapple. But you can see in the fight with Jack uh, Marshman, the guy's a crap grappler. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to expose this. The fight with Roman Kopilov, now I'm going to expose this. He takes those guys down and he looks for the submissions. Doesn't work against high-level guys. But with Kennedy, he may try to take him down. And he may have enough kickboxing to be effective standing. And he may be able to do these two things enough to grease out a close decision, which is plus 450, right? You mentioned it already. Carl Roberson by decision. So, like, not something I've got any type of faith in whatsoever. Kennedy's huge. You know, he might just clap him. I'm not uh, convinced about Carl Roberson's durability in the slightest bit. But I think part of what made him suspect in the past is the bad weight cuts. And the Roundtree fight, while well, Roundtree was just on that night, can't take anything away from him. This fight you may see a better version of him. And if he shows up to a better version of himself, he could squeak this one out. So I'm on the same page with you. I, I would lean towards that plus, plus 450 for Roberson by decision. I'm going to need a little bit of... Uh, I need a bigger line on the money line to actually take a shot on a guy with a suspect fight IQ as yeah. as Carl Roberson. I'm trying to avoid those guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Steer clear, for sure. You don't want him to try to outpoint Kennedy and Zetsko on the feet and just stay... At Kennedy and Sechiku's range the entire time because that's exactly what this motherfucker might do. Let's hope James Krause is whispering in, her, in his ear to to make her a little bit dirtier than that. All right. Speaking of James Krause, one of his highly touted prospects makes his uh, third walk to the cage. Next up, we got David Onama coming in as a minus eight hundred favorite against a fighter that uh, he actually competed against in his last amateur bout, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Garrett Armfield stepping in on super short notice here. He's coming in at plus 550. Now, I went back and watched their first fight. Uh, again, amateur fight, three-minute rounds. They were pretty much just going to war on the feet, right? And I was very surprised, especially as I started to dig into Garrett's background a little bit more. But the guy used to be a, a college wrestling standard, if I'm not mistaken, over there in uh, Missouri State. And he used none of that in their fight. It was pretty much a striking battle the entire time. Onama was getting the better of the hands. Uh, Garrett started relying on the leg kicks in round two. It didn't really pay off as much because he kept getting the strikes uh, anytime he would throw those kicks. But as we start to see his career progress, Garrett, that I'm talking about, uh, you see him start to lean more so on that wrestling. Like a lot of his past uh, last three wins are reliant on him getting that wrestling going. He's gotten a couple big knockouts as well, which obviously you know helps uh, his his power argument per se. But I don't think he's going to be the better striker in this matchup. I think David Onama is definitely cleaning up in that division or or, or that department of this fight. But. If if Garrett can get in on this guy and can start getting the takedowns going, this plus 550 is going to look absolutely crazy. Now, I get it. I believe he's coming up a weight class now to, to take this fight. He's normally a bantamweight. He was, yes, he was the bantamweight champion over there at FAC. He actually just won it uh, because it was vacant. Um, and he won it in 33 seconds against the guy in Stephen Graham, who was 10 and 5. But uh, that pretty much punches his ticket to the UFC as a short notice replacement. But like I said, going up a weight class to fight David Onama. But I don't know, man. At plus 550, I'm a little bit intrigued to take a shot here on him, especially his decision prop, which currently sits anywhere between plus 900 and plus 1250. I get it. David Onama is a fun fighter. He has a, you know, he, he has some potential. He had a big knockout victory against Gabriel Benitez in his last fights. 
But when we start pushing him in other facets of the game, you got to wonder if he's going to be able to keep up, right? Like Mason Jones, I think landed six or eight takedowns on him in that fight. Now you're talking about a guy with an actual, like an actual wrestling background, trying to get takedowns on David Onama. Sure, he might be the bigger guy, but I think it could work out here. Not to mention, he's obviously changed camps since he first went up against David Onama. He's obviously down there at a much more acclaimed gym at uh, Sanford MMA, getting in great training with great training partners. Cody, I might have to do the tinfoil hat conspiracy thing here this week. I might have to go with the short notice Garrett Armfield. There must be a reason he's wanting to take this fight because there was a point in time this week where they're like, David Onama's not fighting this week. And then uh, Garrett Armfield just raises his hand. He's like, hey, I'll, I'll take the fight. Maybe there's something he sees that he can take advantage of this time around, coming in as a plus 550 underdog. Uh, but I'd be surprised if he finished him. I would rather take, not rather take, I will take a little bit of a poke on the money line. The decision prop is very sexy to me, though, at plus 1250. Got to take a little bit of a sprinkle there. Obvious on the other side, if Onama wins this fight, likely knocks him out, right? Minus 160 is what we're getting inside the distance. There's not an actual KO prop out yet because this fight just got made two days ago. But uh, Onama inside the distance, minus 160, arm field by decision, plus 1250. That's the way I would look to play this fight. Maybe even the over one and a half at minus 110 because I could absolutely see Armfield getting the clinching and the grappling going to push this over that one and a half round mark. Am I crazy? Have you looked into Armfield much at all since it's been a really short notice fight? But what are your thoughts here? Yeah, it was a short notice fight, so I hadn't really looked at it much uh, yesterday on the preview show. I just remembered him when he had fought in the CFFC fight against Mateo Vogel, right? Yes. Because of course, shout out Mateo Vogel. Yeah, yeah, shout out to Mateo Vogel, right? You're getting a, you know, rep the Canadian boy. So he ends up getting his uh, back taken in the second round, caught with a rear naked choke. He looked green. He looked like he had some wrestling chops, but at the same time, you know, wasn't able to transition it properly over. He has switched over to Killcliffe FC. Yeah. Is it that what they're calling themselves now? Yeah. Um, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to send it a tweet at some point. But uh, <laughs> it, well, it was it was American top team, right? And then some of the guys split. Jorge Santiago, Jay-Z Calvacante, you know, the Danilo Villefort and Yuri Villefort, like his guys. Yeah, but at first it was the Jaco Jacko Hybrid Training Center. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Then yeah. it switched over from Jacko Hybrid Training Center to Imperial Athletics. Then it switched from Imperial Athletics over to the Black Zillions. Then it switched from the Black Zillions over to there hard was knocks. two of them. Yeah, there's one of them before Hard Knocks. It's something stupid. When you see it, before. you're like, holy shit, that's right. They switched to something. Then they switched to Hard Knocks. Then they switched to Sanford. Now they switched to Kill Kill Cliff FC. Kill Cliff. You know what Kill Cliff <laughs> is, though, right? No, I don't. What is that? It's like a I, I I could be off on this. I know it's a drink, but I think it's like a CBD drink or something like that. Right. And anytime right, Henry right. Hoof like does it an IG story, he <clears throat> always shows like they have a full fridge full of Killcliff drinks. So it's a drink of some sort. So it's interesting you say that because from my understanding of it, the reason why the gyms had so many name changes is because it's basically just like some rich dude, some sponsor will come in and be like, Oh, it'd be so cool to have my own MMA team. Like I'll sponsor you guys to have a facility in, in South Florida. You guys can train and blah, blah, blah. And like, that's what they did with Glenn Robinson, who was the original black zillions guy. Right. So when he died of that heart attack, well, he also went bankrupt, but then died of a heart attack. Yeah. So ever since then, it's just like, they flow from just like, Sponsor gym to sponsor gym. Hard Knock 365. What the hell is that? It's just a fitness center, right? Got a little dough. Bring these pros in. See what if it boosts memberships. You know, all Jaco Hybrid Training Center, right? All Jaco back in the day was a clothing brand, right? Remember yeah. these who make the sweet backpacks? They, yeah. you know, sponsored fighters, Thiago Alves, blah, blah, blah. Like it was an ATT guy, no surprise. Um, 
it, like that that was the vibe so it doesn't mean anything for a kid like this he's gone to a gym but at the same time people fault fighters for being gym jumpers in this case it's like the, it's, it's the gym itself is the jumping right <laughs> so i don't know part of me thinks it's like are you getting the best training you could possibly get down at these places i don't know our boy jesse arnett went out there with stanford at the time and like Shut blew up. out his knee and like took some big Ooh. damage and then like came back hasn't wrestled in like six weeks hasn't done jiu-jitsu in a few in like a while and yet dude is still kicking some ass down in the middle east so uh shout out to jesse the big cat arnett he's on a real good run right now and won the you, title. you go to these places and it's just like a destination getaway but you're not getting in like the world-class rounds right guy like ronnie lawrence is you know he's he's a team right he's in at att all the time he's a full-time guy he's like got the graces yeah. of the gym other I, guys i believe that, ronnie lawrence is actually a sanford guy's wife i'm not mistaken. oh has he moved over Sorry. to sanford yeah i, I know he, he, he was, was at ATT for a little bit and then he moved over to sanford yeah yeah, well, there you go. They're in the same boat, man. Maybe my boy, maybe your your tin foil hat is a conspiracy theory. He's onto something. Ronnie Lawrence is a gym jumper too. Now I'm kidding. I think he's ultra talented. I think this kid's ultra talented as well. But I, I I think he's a little bit green still. Now now you mentioned the question like why would the fight was canceled? Nobody's signing up to take the fight. Like why would somebody come with their hand raised and be like I want this fight? Well, because for Gary Armfield, he's 25 years old and fighting's his thing. You know, he's got nine pro fights. This would be his his tenth professional fight. He's got a, a lengthy enough amateur career, like six and one or something as an amateur. He's fought a long time, right? He's got that experience. You're not getting paid no money. What do you think he got paid to fight Stephen Graham at FAC 13? What do you think he got paid to win that split Congrats. decision against Mark <laughs> Seiler, six and three? Because I'll tell you what, it's less than a thousand bucks, right? So at 25, your prospects are now, hey, I wrestled in college. I graduated. I'm now training. I'm doing this martial arts thing. I'm 25. I'm dead ass broke. I want to train in South Florida with the best guys in the world. I have faith in myself. And now nobody wants to fight David Onama, so they're saying fights off. But you know what? I'll fight this guy. Why? Because David Onama, eight pro wins. All eight wins inside the distance. Last time he went to decision, Garrett Armfield in that amateur fight back in 2018. So like, he's gone the distance with him. He's felt him. He knows he's not going to get hurt. He may not win, but just doing the favor to the UFC by saving the fight, signing your name on the dotted line, he'll end up fighting some contender series guy in his next fight. He's going to sign a four-fight deal with the UFC. So I I'm not like... I'm not thinking he's taking this fight because he's got something up his sleeve and like some like hidden little secret and he knows something. I think he's taking this fight because it's the right thing to do at this stage of his career is to get paid for your efforts and go out there and fight a guy who you've already fought for free as an amateur. Might as well fight him for free and get the thing done. For Onama, meanwhile, he's a work in progress, but everything seems to be trending in the right direction. Excellent footwork, good striking. Uh, you saw him come in his UFC debut where I was honestly not giving him much of a chance uh, against Mason Jones. And just puts on like a very, very clean performance. He was an amateur standout. He was on a 17-fight win streak before running into um, uh, Mason Jones. So it's like the kid definitely talented. And I believe he's with uh, James Krause, Gloria MMA Fitness. Yep. Yeah, so it's like they've got the kid game plan. They know what they've got. And he's definitely working in the right direction, right? They want to save him on this card. The UFC want to keep him by any means necessary. And, you know, that fight with Gabriel Benitez, a gatekeeper within the division. But to go out there and knock him out in the first round, you see the kid's got power. He lives up to his finishing ability. I think his cardio is there. He, he looked very good against Mason Jones in the output department. He already has a win over Garrett Armfield. I just think that he's a little bit better than him all over. Now, the minus 650 on the money line, I don't love that in the slightest bit. Uh, just indicative of the fact that they think he's going to run right through him. But here's my angle. The bookmaker, I don't want to say casual fans, but just maybe, maybe people that are just going to look at it on the surface are going to see Onama's a straight-up finisher. He's finished you know, all of his fights outside of the, his one loss to Mason Jones, which was a hell of a fight, which would have most guys would have not get knocked yeah. down that fight. 
Jones yeah. just took some hellacious blows. The guy is a potent finisher. He's finished all of his pro wins. Uh, the fight's likely going to be an inside the distance. If you look at the prop on this fight to go the distance, it's plus, uh, not to go the distance. It's, uh, you know, that's where the money is. Fight to go the distance plus money. Onama to win by decision. Most people are thinking, no, no, no. You know, the guy's a finisher. In the same breath, he's already fought this guy, Garrett Armfield. It went to decision. It was an amateur fight, so the shorter rounds. But Garrett Armfield got submitted once by Mateo Vogel. But that was it. He's never been knocked out before, right? Kid's got a good chin. Kid's got durability. He's got some wrestling he can lean on to try to slow things down. He's already taken Onama's shots. He's felt his power. And all he's got to do is go out there and survive for 15 minutes. So I do have Onama winning the fight, but I'm going to hit that plus money on the Onama by decision. Uh, fight goes to decision currently sits at plus 175 for anybody interested in that onama by decision plus 240 uh, i'm still gonna stick with my guy armfield by decision last sure. thing i'll say about sure. this for food for thought um david onama was getting ready for austin lingo striker now he has a completely different matchup again a guy he's already familiar with we'll see how that uh changing of game plans uh works out here and whether he's going to be successful in keeping this upright and then he has big bombs go which he normally is successful in doing all right let us move on to the next fight here. We're only three fights in, Cody. Three fights, but we still got plenty to go, more to go. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this next one. We got Cody Brunage going up against Trishon Gore. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 145 for Trishon Gore, plus 125 the return on Cody Brundage. Now, I was successful in fading Trishon Gore in his last fight against Brian Battle. I thought Battle was a much better overall fighter and his ability, or sorry, his cardio mixed with his ability to mix up the martial arts was the best way for him to, to win that fight. And that's exactly what happened. You know, he left the cage with a, a, a swollen eye. Like he definitely felt the damage of Gore that night, but he was the one that was more successful in implementing a full MMA game. Now here in this matchup against Cody Brundage, Brundage, you know, mainly known as the wrestler, the guy that needs to take the fight to the ground, almost got finished by Dalja Lungiambula in his last fight in a crazy fight, back and forth fight, which he eventually went, uh, won, I believe, by guillotine, if I'm not mistaken, by jumping on a, not a, I won't call it a Hail Mary guillotine, but he saw that Dalja left his neck out there and he jumped on it and took it home with him. That fight only lasted three minutes and 40 seconds, but good Lord, was it fast paced because of how much of uh, how much action was actually taking place in that fight. I am going to lean with Sean Gore here, though. I see the potential that people saw in him before the the Brian Battle fight. The guy's quick. He has some good hands. You know, his overall game is still developing. He has a good team behind him. The Lima brothers really believe in his skill set. They think that he could take it to a championship level. And even Sean Gore was talking about, you know, double champ status even before he had his first UFC fight that I was clowning him about. You can't knock the guy's confidence, right? The guy's very confident, but now he knows that, okay, it's not going to be that easy. I got to go out there and I actually have to do the work to be successful and get my hand raised. And I think he's going to be able to do that here against Cody Brundage. I think his get-ups are great. I think his takedown defense could use a little bit of work. We saw some good things from it from him on, on the Ultimate Fighter because those fights obviously count for experience. Maybe not on his professional record, but they definitely count for experience uh, overall. And I saw some good things from him defensively grappling, defensive grappling speaking, right? Um, Cody Brundage is probably the best wrestler he's faced to this point, so he's going to deal with some resistance there. But if he's able to shut that down and keep this in the striking realm, I think he absolutely lights up Cody Brundage here, and I think he actually knocks him out. I think he finds that that knockout blow at a certain point here. His his 
you know, he's a little bit gun shy at times, but I'm hoping that that first official loss on his record, on his professional MMA record, wakes him up a little bit, that he needs to throw a little bit more. And especially in this fight where he's going to have the obvious speed and striking advantage and power advantage, he should be able to put that to good use here and find that knockout against Cody Brundage. That's what I'm going to be banking on. Uh, Sean Gore to win by knockout, plus 250. Sign me to fuck up. What are you thinking here, Cody? I'm thinking the exact same thing. Like, it's not a fight I got a ton of confidence on, only because Trejan Gore's three and one. Like, he's just got no real pro experience. And flip side to that, he's taking on a guy in Cody Brunage who's got a lot of flaws to his game. But, like, they're both what I would consider to be lower level at the moment. You know, guys that are trying to build their way up could be greasy. There's not, you don't have a ton of confidence in these guys to go out and perform. But again, yeah, I see the same things. Trejan Gore was actually a solid amateur. He's got some pretty decent wins over Tanner Saracino and Robert Hale in the amateur ranks. Turns pro, doesn't really fight all that often. There's gaps within his career, but looks like he's a pretty talented enough guy. Very athletic, big power, all good. Gets on the ultimate fighter. And he's like, looks like the favorite to win the show. So he beats Ryder Newman, beats Gilbert Urbina, completely kills Urbina. And now it's like, okay, he's going to go to the finals. going to be good times. Unfortunately, he gets injured. Brian Battle replaces him. Brian Battle ends up winning the ultimate fighter. So the UFC figures it's a good idea just to run it back with Brian Battle. Here's the thing. It's like Brian Battle's got twice as much pro experience, twice as much amateur experience, a lot more experience. Plus, he had just made his UFC debut when he won the ultimate fighter. So I feel like that sophomore outing, he was a lot more comfortable. And Gore was gun-shy in that fight. He just couldn't deal with the long-range kickboxing. Brian Battle landed 112 significant strikes. It's a whole lot of volume from the outside. Gore just never really figured out how to overcome it. And a fight with Cody Brunridge. Cody Brunridge is not exactly known for his stand-up abilities, nor his output. In his last couple of fights, I mean, he's not landed anything. Dolce, you give him a pass. He's on skates the whole time, but he lands four. Like, striking is not exactly... The go-to, it's going to be his grappling, and that's what bails him out with the guillotine choke. The fight before with Nick Maximov, he lands 10 strikes in the first round. He lands one in the second. Now, a lot of it's grappling, but he's just not known for his hands or his output. In the contender series fight against William Knight, he seemed to gas himself out in that first round by putting the pedal to the metal, and since then, he's a little more conservative. So I don't really like anything from his striking. His wrestling, although he's a collegiate, uh, former collegiate wrestler, he got taken down fairly easily in the first two rounds by Nick Maximov, who was a a community college wrestler, good, you know, whatever, collegiate wrestler, it's wrestling. But it's not like I would say Brunner's is super high level by no means. So the striking's not high level. The wrestling's not high level. He does got a little bit of submission uh, game in his back pocket, but I don't think Gore's going to be there for him to snatch up the neck. I think he's going to stay at distance. He's going to, you know, circle him away, smaller cage, back him up towards the cage and let his hands go. And what you've seen with Dolce, as soon as he hit Brunridge, Brunridge is big time hurt. William Knight fight. Brunage wins the first two minutes. The second William Knight reverses position, lands a couple shots. He shells up right away. Guy doesn't deal well with damage. And so I think at some point, um, Gore's just going to corral him, let his hands go, and then force a referee to step in and stop the thing. So same thing that you're saying, man. Plus 240, Gore by knockout. That's what I would go with. But again, just like, yeah, he's 3-1 and one coming off his first career loss. He looked gun shy. Uh, is he ready for the UFC? Probably not. But I think that Cody Brundage is the kind of opponent that he could expose. And I think he will do that. Oh, sorry. I do. Um, I, I agree with you. I'm glad that you agree with me as well. I do quickly want to just go back just again. Another quick shout out to CloudBet here because there was a prop that I actually skipped over for the Saeed Jokob Kakramana fight and the Ronnie Lawrence fight. I would love to get your thoughts on this here, real quick. They have uh, total takedowns for Ronnie Lawrence over under five and a half set at minus 110. What would you lean on there? Over, under, five and a half. No, I would say the under. Like, again, yeah, what happens is is that Ronnie Lawrence scores 12 takedowns against Vince Cachero. So it's like, holy shit. Then he goes out and he scores eight more takedowns in his next timeout. So it's like, oh, man, this guy's just you know wrestling for days. 
So the natural assumption is he's probably going to go out there and take Kakramanov down four or five times, six times, seven times. Kakramanov's got excellent takedown defense. You saw in his fight with Trevin uh, Jones, not the strongest in the clinch per se, but he's got good hips. Again, he does come from a wrestling background, wrestled as a, a junior under 17, and then fought Umar Nurmagomedov very competitively when he was 22 years old and stuffed largely most of his takedowns. So I'm going to say that Roddy Lawrence is actually going to struggle with the takedowns. The reason why I'm still picking him is I think he'll have superior volume from the outside, and he's going to be stronger in the clinch. So sometimes wrestling is not all about scoring the takedown as much as it's about bullying the guy up against the cage. Unless you're Rory McDonald, then it's like, dude, at least take him down a couple times because it's like <laughs> bullying him up against the cage is only going to get you so far you're not going to do anything, right? Uh, so, so in the case of your question about the prop, I would say the under, was it four and a half? Yeah, five and a half. Five and a half. Yeah, I would say the under on that. I can see him getting two, three, but it's going to be subjective to who's scoring them because I think Kakramanov, even if he does get taken down, probably gets back up fairly quickly. Uh, I would absolutely agree with you there. So I'm glad with your take on that one. All right, let us move on to the next fight here. Let's get right back on track. We got a women's flyweight belt coming up. We got Antonina Shevchenko going up against Courtney Casey. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 170 for Shevchenko and plus 145 for Courtney Casey. Interesting fight here. You know, I love women's MMA, right? I love betting on women's MMA. I always seem to have an edge there for some reason. And I always try to find that the, the win. But I have question marks about this fight, right? A little bit, a little bit. Like Shevchenko is the obvious side. She should go out there. She should have the better overall game plan, whether it's with her striking, whether it's with her takedowns. Courtney Casey just seems a little bit too comfortable off of her back, even though she rarely gets submissions off her back, especially at this point in her career. Shevchenko can be susceptible to getting armbarred from guard, which is my hesitation in terms of paying minus 170 on Shevchenko here. But I do think she, you know, grinds this fight out, whether it's out pointing Casey on the feet or grinding her out by just taking her down over and over again. Does she have the capability to knock out Casey? Casey's durable, man. That chin, it's 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 sent from God because it's very difficult to, to knock out Courtney Casey. Uh, although Shevchenko will likely be one of the better strikers that Courtney Casey has gone up against at this point in her career. You know, the last time she got finished by punches was never. She's only ever been submitted and whenever she's gotten finished. She got submitted in her second ever fight against Pearl Gonzalez. Uh, she also got submitted last or in Jillian her second Robinson, last fight by yeah. Jillian Robertson. But that was bullshit. Uh, that was bullshit because there's 20 seconds left in the round and I'll be, everyone's screaming, get up, get up, get up. And she's just like, YOLO, and just tries to stand <laughs> up and just gives up a rear naked choke. It was like, ah, you know, yeah. I had the decision prop, Robertson by decision. And I remember being like, God damn it. But you can so watch back close. that fight a hundred times. She could easily, if her goal was survive, she could have. But they were yelling at her like, "Yo, stand up!" The round's almost done. She knew she was losing, and she was just like, "Okay, try to stand up." So there's I a reason you. they call her Cast Iron Casey, right? <laughs> yes. Like she's you no. can hit her with a frying pan. She's a pretty durable <laughs> chick. So I, I agree. I think, and and people often confuse Antonina with Valentina in the sense yeah. that, well, one of them's world class. You know, she's knocked out some pretty decent opponents. And one of them's, you know, if you watch any of Antonina's Muay Thai fights, and I think she was like 43 and nine as an am or as a, as a Muay Thai fighter. And it's like nine KOs. She's got like 43 wins. Nine of them are by KO. She does she's not have much power on since she's come to the UFC. It's been much the same. Not a whole lot of vol or volumes. Okay. But not a whole lot of power. She's good in the clinch. Excellent use of the body. Uh, you know, just good short elbows. And I think that she's got the cleanest striking technique than Courtney Casey. But honestly, man, she probably tries to take her down, right? Courtney Casey just doesn't stuff takedowns and doesn't do enough off of her back. And it feels like we're talking about Rafael dos Santos in the main event. Rafael, all of his fights, okay? Either he gets out wrestled or he out wrestles the guy. That's why him versus Fia is a super interesting, super yeah. interesting fight. 
because it's like he's either getting taken down a zillion times by Colby or Usman. All those guys are world class. Michael Chiesa took him down six times. What was going on there? If you're a better wrestler than him, you take him down at will. He's a better wrestler than you. He takes you down at will. It's even though you're that's not your strong suit, you have to be able to recognize when that's the path of least resistance. Caitlin Chikagi, another fighter that known for her striking, but been working on her grappling a whole lot often because you're going to run into opponents that you can take advantage. Antonina probably does have the striking advantage over Courtney Casey. And I think she'll use that striking advantage effectively. But ultimately, the way to just like make sure that you win these rounds and then they're not subjective to the judges sitting cage side is to sprinkle in that takedown. Minute and a half left, take her down. Could Courtney Casey throw up an armbar from guard? Yeah, of course. Women's MMA could happen. But like, come on, Antonina, you train with the goat. Don't get armbarred from guard of all things. Steer clear. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have to say she gets the job done. And then of course, because putting away Casey is just not gonna happen, that plus one twenty-five by decision looks pretty good to me. Also, last thing I want to mention is in that last fight, Antonina versus Casey O'Neill. I loaded up on Casey O'Neill, but she soundly beat Casey O'Neill up in the first round. It was that persistence to take the fight to the ground, eventually broke her. Casey O'Neill gets the fight to where she has it best, and she's able to put her away. Uh, against um, this fight against, um, sorry, Courtney Casey, uh, come on. Like, if, if the going gets tough on the striking department, is Courtney Casey going to rely on her, her on her wrestling offense? Like, she shows, like, 27% takedown accuracy. Like, she's yeah. not going to wrestle her way out of this. Antonina has the, the the options. I can choose to strike my way to a decision victory, or I can use my wrestling towards a decision victory. But in both outcomes, if she's going to win, going to be by decision. So plus one twenty five there. She she's only beating the Leona Liana Jojuas of the world, right? She got she got taken down twice against- by Liliana Jojua exactly. to put things into perspective for you. That's yeah. absolutely nuts to me. And then I'll give I'll give Antonina like a pass. Casey O'Neill's a top prospect. Andrea Lee was, you know, on that night and is a fringe top 10 contender. Uh, Caitlin Chukagian is a former world title challenger. Roxanne Modafferi, uh, I mean, getting taken down five times by her is a real bad look. But uh, but again, a savvy veteran of the game who I know you've cashed a few tickets on. Yeah. Whenever anybody cashes on Roxanne, it's like the big the big stuff because it's always plus 500 crap. Goddamn Roxanne. That's what Modafferi. she always is. <laughs> always. And she cashes tickets. She's retired now. Kudos to her. She had a yeah. very excellent career by all standards because overachieved in pretty much every definition of the word. Um, but yeah, I think you see the limitations to Shevchenko's game against better grapplers, better wrestlers. Courtney Casey doesn't present that. She's fairly one-dimensional in her approach. She's 10 and 9. She's looking to throw down. She's looking to have a scrap. That's about it. Uh, Paul informed me because Paul likes to keep up with the times that Courtney Casey is currently dating Drakkar Close, right? So, together. Yeah, because I thought together. he was married to that Mark Sanchez guy for a while. He was a BJJ oh, boxer back in the day. Remember when she broke into the UFC? She was Courtney Casey Sanchez. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Good point. yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She dropped the Sanchez. She left him. I didn't realize that part, and but apparently she was Drakkar Close. So. Yeah, I should probably come out with a YOLO game plan. I'm going to stand in front of you and chuck bombs. Like, it's what your card does. So uh, I, it'll be a fun fight. It'll be like a low key. You might, at the end of the t- uh, show, when we do <clears throat> what could be potentially fight of the night, this would be flying way under the radar. But you could get a fight, fun, exciting 15-minute scrap out of it, right? So it could be a decent fight overall. But I'm going to have to go with Antonina by decision. 
plus seventeen hundred for this fight to win uh, fight of the night. If you in, in case you are so inclined to to pull the trigger there, but uh, yeah, no, I I agree. I'm gonna go Shevchenko via decision as well. Clearer fighter all around. The only way she loses this fight is if she gets armbarred from uh, guard, which I again I have a little sense in my head that it could potentially go off. If you do as well, Casey by submission is currently sitting at plus seven hundred. Not too bad of a line to take a shot if you are intrigued by that all right let us move on to the next right here we got a fellow canadian finally getting back into the cage after an extended layoff once again i think it's extended layoff uh last time we saw him in the cage draco draco rodriguez february of 2021 so about a year and a half off once again but here he is coming back against ricky tercios uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at minus 190 for Tosios, plus 160 the return on Eamon Zahabi. Now, it's it's obvious, Cody, right? Zahabi he got the rub from his brother to get into the UFC at the point that he did, right? There's a couple of names on his regional record that I'm sure that you'll pretty much know all of them. But the one that stuck out to me most was uh, Kyle Vivian in his UFC de- or his <laughs> professional yeah, MMA yeah. debut. Paul was talking about that yesterday. He Paul smoked a cig with Kyle Vivian I right before the Jay fight. With yeah, Kyle right, right before right the after, fight. You know, before that fight. Yeah, I know because he was like in the same hotel as us and he was yeah. just like smoking cigs at the side. He, yeah. and, and Kyle Vivian, to his credit, also fought Sergio Pettis and was winning yeah. the fight for like the oh, first two minutes. Wow. He got kicked in the head, but he got kicked in the head, and then Sergio's leg got caught, so he fell on top of Sergio, and then Sergio had no ground game at the time, so he just spent two minutes on top of him. It was hilarious, and then he gassed out and lost. But uh, uh, go go yeah, on, because so- I got some stories for sure, yeah. Yeah, Jason Sago, Sergio Pettis, Alex Halkius, Eamon Zahabi, and Jordan Preston, all names that are somewhat familiar to hardcore MMA fans. Those are all the guys that Kyle Vivian has lost to. Uh, I think he's retired now. He hasn't fought in over nine years. But his last fight was the fight that I was at, uh, where after he got called in on short notice, I ended up smoking a J with him at the hotel because he's like, ah, I just came to fuck around. Yeah, je- yeah, ex- exactly. He actually runs a bit of a gym and like, I don't know, he always Area, fought up weight classes. Yeah, and like did his own thing, uh, really a fight and thing. An yeah, issue yeah. or something as well, like fighting out of his weight class and all that shit. Fighting out of his weight class, fighting out of his garage, self-trained, like he always had a bunch of issues. But yeah, you can never take away from the fact from Jeff Harrison, like elite Canadian Muay Thai fighter and now one of the top coaches in the country, right? Jason yeah. Sago, BJJ Black Belt, UFC veteran. Sergio Pettis, uh, former Bellator champion, (laughs) UFC veteran, absolute stud. Alex Halkius, BJJ Black Belt. Eamon Zahabi, BJJ Black Belt, UFC veteran. Like, like some guy. And I'll tell you for matchmaking cards, okay? You'll call up a guy. It's like, dude, you're a badass. This guy's a badass. And they're just like, yeah, not, not right now. You'll call these Kyle Vivians and they they don't. I'm in. Uh, 500 shit. bucks in a beer? You shit. need to tell me you're going to pay my gas money. You're going to pay my <laughs> gas money. <laughs> Drive down there. Get my ass Bro, kicked. that's what he you're did gonna put for me the hotel. And you're going to give me 500 bucks? Is this a prank? Did Denise put you up to this? It's like, no. No, I'm totally serious. And, and they show up. They show up. They do the damn thing. So, game Yo, Night before wins. Yo, night before wins. They called him. They called him. Night before Wayans, they called him and he drove from Aurelia all the way to Ottawa and then made weight the next day because he was fighting way out of his weight class and uh and yeah. ended up getting uh pounced on there by Jordan Preston. But let's well, we're getting way off the track here. Let's get back onto the track. Eamon's hobby. Uh again, I'm good striker, good overall game. 
obviously he's been keeping busy with his jujitsu as well. I think he took part in uh, the Ontario quintet uh, thing that uh, I believe a gym out of uh, Oakville, Ontario did, uh, did very well over there, if I'm not mistaken. But in his return to the cage, he did manage to knock out Draco Rodriguez in three minutes with an overhand right. Um, he was a plus 160 dog that night as well. So a lot of people continuously look past Eamon Zahabi. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact, well, he does have a loss to Vince Morales on his record, which doesn't look great. And he didn't make a good account of himself that night either. Right. I thought he uh, he just seemed gun shy. He just didn't really want to pull the trigger. And he changed all that around against Jaco Rodriguez, which is why he ended up getting that knockout victory. Now, Ricky Tercios, I think, is like Tony Ferguson reincarnated in a sense. Right. He has that weird old mentality about him, even the way that he fights. Right. He is not technically a great striker or fighter per se but he just has that heart he has that grit he has the ability to just throw wacky shit at you and hopefully it sticks and hopefully it knocks you out or hopefully it, it adds up in points and damage um his takedown defense looks a little bit skeptical so maybe zahabi could take a little bit of a um advantage of that but uh, his ability to get scrambles going and get back to his feet is very impressive so i think he'll be able to out scramble zahabi in a bunch of those situations but if this is a pure striking battle man i wouldn't count out zahabi at this line because that is pr pretty much his base right if i'm not mistaken for zahabi started off as a muay thai guy and his brother followed suit which is why he's always been looking to strike more often than not if he gets over that that whatever that thing he had in the vince morales fight where he just wasn't throwing his hands like I, like I said, it looks like he did it against Draco Rodriguez. If he brings that same mindset here against Ricky Tercios, he can make this a close fucking fight. So I've, I've seen and heard a couple of people thinking that Ricky Tercios is a free square this weekend. I wouldn't say so, man. I am actually going to lean on the Zahabi side here as I do think he'll be able to land the better strikes as long as he le lets his hands go. And uh, I think he'll be able to counter uh, Ricky Tercios very effectively here. I could see this playing out as a 15-minute kickboxing fight where Zahabi gets the better of the striking. So I'm going to go Zahabi via decision at plus 400 um thinking about a small shot on his money line here at plus 160 i don't think turkey tercios is what people think he is it's just his 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 personality is just so wacky and out there and obviously him winning the 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 ultimate fighter helps his 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 stock but i don't know if he'll get past the hobby here what are you thinking am i am i too high on the hobby or what yeah yeah just i'm not high on the hobby it's been like a forever thing his whole career is just kind of janky like he's the younger brother of faraz he trains with high level guys and like honestly and i told the story yesterday on dogger pass but like we would routinely hear reports that like he's knocking out nick denis yves jamboin miguel torres like he's just beating up guys that were in the ufc at the time or in you know uh, miguel torres's case he's a former wc champ and he's like smoking these guys in the gym and they come down to tristar his striking's awesome you know bjj black belt family guy really smart high ring iq it always just sounded like sky was the limit then he never saw anything, right? So, like, his amateur debut, the guy's 0-3. Okay, fair enough. Your first ever fight. Sure. Then he takes, like, four months off, and he fought Derek Charbonneau. Derek Charbonneau was 0-6 as an amateur, and his 0-1 as a pro, the one lost to Robin Black, right? That was Robin Black's one pro. Opponent. Yeah. Then he turns pro. He, after that, after, after he fought Derek Charbonneau, he took a year and a half off. He took a full year and a half off before fi fighting Kyle Vivian, a dude that's smoking cigs in the lobby, okay? Then he fought Philip Deschambeau, a guy that was from a native reserve, terrible record, had lost to Ryan Hall, which is, you know, a good guy to lose to. But I remember we were at that fight. It was slam one, right? Faraz tells Ryan Hall, the fight starts. He tells Ryan Hall, don't take his back and rear naked choke him, okay? I know you're probably going to try. It's too easy for you. You're supposed to be getting cage experience. Just do something else. Fight starts. Ryan Hall ducks him, takes his back, 
looks for the rear naked choke, looks at Faraz. Faraz is like, no, 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 don't. So he just starts smacking him in the head and TKOs him instead. But it was like, that's how easy it was for them. They were just handpicking the worst guys available to build them up. That card, by the way, features slam that was, one. That was the first, was that? It, no, that Alex was the Garcia, second. Alex Garcia was in the main event. He went to the UFC. Yeah. Obey Mercier is the co-main event. Went to the UFC. Fights in PFL now. Eamon Zahabi's on the card. Um, Mario, Mario Pereira. Pereira. For wow. both of them. Yeah, Pereira was supposed to be a total gangster. Duford's fighting for uh, UAE Warriors right now. He's on a kill yep. killer. Only losses like split decisions against Jure or, or sorry, uh, Kyle Prepolek and Jesse Rawlinson, UFC veterans. Ryan Hall was on. Our boy Robin Black was the curtain jerk. It was like, damn, they just Mandel Nalo was actually first fight of the night. Mandel, sorry, Mandel Nalo. Who's garbage. People over in Bellator, top yeah. guy. Crazy car. So it was always we yeah, crazy car, but just set up squash matches. They didn't want competitive fights. They wanted their guys to go out and, and smoke them. And even though he they give him the fight he wants, he took 16 months off from his amateur fight to his pro debut. He beats this guy effortlessly in a minute 28. He still proceeds to take another 16 months off before fighting a guy from a reservation from Saskatchewan who's super ill-equipped and then again gets finished 233 into the first round. So, like, at no point was Faraz ever like, yeah, you got to take the tough fights to build yourself. They just always did this. Oh, no, Wesley Bowman, 7-8 and eight Scott, Scott Farhat. Kyle Oliveira, actually, that guy was actually pretty decent. But he blows his knee out in the first round. So, like, you know, that was all. Then he fights Reginaldo Vieira. Well, everything I've been told about this guy, he's a gangster. Eamon Zahabi is a gangster. He comes into the fight with Reginaldo as a minus 270 favorite. The fight's in... Halifax, Nova Scotia. It's in Canada. It's a hobby's debut. This is a great moment for him. Reginaldo won tough Brazil, but he's a bum. He's a certified yeah. bum. And he was training. I remember they were showing training footage of him. He's training in a kitchen. There was a fucking fridge, right? In a kitchen with like a countertop and just mats on the floor. And like, and he's just like working mitts and wrestling with his lone training partner. It was low level shit. Okay. He proceeds to get outstruck. In two of the three rounds by Reginaldo Viara, he got taken down twice by Reginaldo Viara. Outstruck in the first, like 25 to 12. Outstruck in the, the third, like 27 to 12. No output. Super gun shy. He robbed that decision. Bad fight. Bad fight. But they give him a decision. So now the Ricardo Ramos fight. First round, he looks awful. Second round, I scored it for him. I thought he was working his way back into it. But low output, just he had found Ramos' timing. And then the third round, Ramos just spams a spinning back elbow. He avoids it and then runs face first into a second motherfucking spinning back elbow. All right. Who throws back-to-back -back spinning back elbows? Fair enough. You know, didn't see it coming, but he didn't look good. The Vince Morales fight, no output, super gun shy, stares at him the whole time. Did not look good. And then you're right. He, he punches up Draco Rodriguez, who I believe is released from the promotion now. I think so, yeah. So so Eamon's been on a run where he just would fight once every year or two. He never steps up. He never fights the tough guy. He robbed Reginaldo Viara, who was super low level. He lost two subsequent fights. He got straight out outworked by Vince Morales, which is a bad look. And then he knocks out Draco Rodriguez. Does that, does that mean he's back? Does that mean he's like suddenly that prospect we thought he was? He's 34 years old. Like, I think he maybe just clipped Draco Rodriguez. Like, I think that's as far, far as it goes. To beat Ricky, you need output. Why? Because Ricky is just one of these guys that keeps coming at you. Tony Ferguson is an excellent example. Tony Ferguson makes a ton of mistakes. As a result, he generally gets shit kicked. But he can overcome that, but just sheer work rate. Remember him versus uh, Edson Barbosa? He's oh, flopping all over the place. He's getting crumpled up by heavy shots. There's blood everywhere. And it's like he just does not stop. He sticks on him, eventually rips him to the ground, gets the darts. Ricky's kind of that similar style. He's going to keep coming at you. He's going to get hit. He's going to get busted up. But I think his chin's good enough 
to take Uzahabi's best shots. So Hobby, meanwhile, is not going to throw a ton of output. Uh, the path to beating Ricky would be take him down because takedown defense super lackluster. But Zahabi's not one to wrestle. He's not known for his wrestling. He's not known for going out there with game plans of consistently wrestling. So I think instead you're going to see him sit back and take his time and try to pick his shots. And you're going to see Ricky just come at him. Low leg kicks, little jabs, more action. Maybe he shoots for a couple takedowns. Maybe there's some scrambles. But Ricky scrambling, Ricky pushing him up against the cage. Ricky with short little uh, sh- uh, elbows, short little knees to the side, little knees to the, the body, separate, more output. That in the long run is going to prevail for him. So I went with the Tercios by decision. Yeah, it's interesting because even on his contender series fight, he almost doubled up his opponent, Boston Salmon, that night on strikes and still ended up losing a decision. So uh, it's it's interesting, right? It, maybe his shots don't look as effective as Boston Salmon, who's a great technical striker, right? When Boston Salmon is on, his striking looks fucking legit. So I think that's ultimately what ended up pay, playing out that night. But yeah, Tercios is going to be a handful. But as long as uh, Zahabi pulls that trigger, it could be interesting. So another fight where we have dissension between me and Cody... Seems like that seems to be the trend of the card, right? Actually, uh, I think the only one we've really uh, we've agreed upon uh, Kakramanov, right? If no, no, wait, you had Lawrence, I had yeah, Kakramanov. Yeah. So what we need, we need is them to release a prop, right? Where on my team, Team Saftik, it'd be uh, Ronnie oh, Lawrence and Ricky Tercios, and on <laughs> Team Jahaz is going to be a Zahabi and Kakramana. Good luck, bud. Good hey, luck. Hey, no, hey, you I, can I win just like, as easily as I can win. But yeah, I, I think I got the favorites in both spots, right? So I'm looking, exactly, a, little, I'm I mean. looking a little better in that regard. I got to take at least one underdog to make this fair. As long as I go one and one, I'm in profit. That's all, that <laughs> all right. Let us move on to the next fight here, which is the beginning of the main card. So I do want to quickly remind and shout out, actually, uh, since we've been on the All-Star, I think this might be the most live viewers that we've had. I think it has to do with the time slot as well. But shout out to the 160 live viewers that we have Ooh. currently watching us. Shout out to you guys. Appreciate the love. Appreciate the support. Seems like we're finally getting everybody that was watching us from the odds.com days from to my channel to now the All-Star. Propping you up has gone through a bunch of changes. But nothing has uh, fully changed in regards that me and Cody are usually at the uh, helm here. So really appreciate you guys uh, chilling with us moving over uh, channels with us and rocking with us on this Thursday afternoon. Make sure you guys show the all-stars some love and let us know, let them know that you enjoy us dropping this show for you guys every week. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below. Drop a comment below as well with your favorite prop of the night and we'll see if it ends up hitting next week uh and uh secondly shout out to betonline.ag probably one of the best sports books out there for mma they are supporting the show and you can support us by supporting them by clicking the link in the description below sign up to them if you haven't already because they offer odds on pretty much anything mma there's a battlefield fight league event going down tonight in vancouver uh canada and who would have thunk it BetOnline has the odds in case you want to get some degenerate MMA action tonight. The fights are actually playing on Fight Pass, so you'll definitely have a a way to watch them as well and sweat out your degenerate action. You can get that action down on BetOnline.ag. Make sure you guys check out the link in the description below. Secondly, shout out to CloudBet as well. We've obviously dropped a couple props that we've been doing with them. Uh, We did the recap of the last event at the beginning of the show, and then obviously at the end of this episode, we'll drop the props that they've done for us uh, for this episode as well. So make sure you guys check out CloudBet. One of the first, if not the first ever, crypto sports book on the market. So make sure you guys go check them out. Link is in the description below. All right, let's get into this first main card matchup, Cody. Excuse me. We got Michael Johnson trying to continue his redemption tour. Taking on Jamie Malarkey here in terms of odds. 
This one kind of surprised me. We got minus 230 on Jamie Malarkey, plus 195 on Michael Johnson. Now, Malarkey is, I like to call him a poor man's Australian version of Darren Elkins, right? Like he goes out there, he gets roughed up, he tries to get takedowns, he tries to make it grindy, and sometimes he comes out on top, sometimes he gets knocked the fuck out like he did in his last fight. Uh, I believe that was the Jalen Turner fight, if I'm not mistaken. Um but but that's pretty much his style, right? Yeah, Jalen Turner knocked him out in 45 seconds or 46 seconds there. Even the fight before that against Devontae Smith deals with a lot of adversity early in that fight and then eventually uh, finishes Devontae Smith in round two. Comma worthy, not UFC worthy. And we saw that that night as he uh, gets knocked out by Jamie Malarkey in 46 seconds. But I think Michael Johnson will have the speed advantage here. He's a much better technical striker. And if he can carry the confidence over from his last fight with Alan Patrick, I think he could find that chin of Jamie Malarkey and put him down here as well. The spot that intrigues me the most, though, is the under two and a half. I do think we're going to see violence no matter which side it comes from. Minus 165 for the under two and a half right now. I do think that we'll see uh, Michael Johnson find that big bomb here on Jamie Malarkey early and put him out. If he doesn't find an early, I think Malarkey could start to take over a little bit later here and possibly find that finish of his own against uh, Michael Johnson, who, you know, sometimes does struggle with guys with a, a grappling advantage. And I do think that Malarkey has a wrestling advantage here at least. And I do think he'll be able to do some good work from on top. But I, I like the under. I like the shot on Johnson, especially Johnson by KO, which is currently sitting at uh, plus 380. Got to take a little bit of a shot there. Malarkey can be dinged, and we know Johnson can ding motherfuckers. I think he's going to ding Jamie Malarkey here, put him out, and cash that plus 380 KO prop. What about yourself? Yeah, I'm not so sure. So, like, with Johnson, total killer power, and, like, yeah, in theory, could knock him out in the first round. And, and we actually hit that prop, Johnson by KO versus Alan Patrick. But the reason why that prop is so juicy is because he hadn't knocked out anybody in six years, and he did knock out Patrick, but that's his lone knockout win in six years. So to say that he can just dead guys on demand, like, I don't know that he's got it anymore. When is Michael Johnson fighting a guy with a wrestling or grappling edge ever worked out for him? When is Michael Johnson fighting a guy with a cardio edge ever worked out for him? It just doesn't. Like, eventually they take his, if they can take it the heat early, first five minutes, They'll break through to him. So even though he's coming off the win over Alan Patrick, I can't I can't overlook the the Tiago Moises. Okay, he was a 10-8 first round. Like he absolutely killed Tiago Moises and he made a mistake. Okay, I'll, I'll give you a pass on that one. Josh Emmett, he won the first two rounds against Josh Emmett. That's pretty significant. Got caught in the third round. I will also give him a pass there. It's a Stevie Ray fight, right? Where it's just like the longer the fight goes, he's just tired. He's lethargic. His power only carries for the first round or two. And then after that, he's just not pillow hands, but it's not there anymore. Stevie Ray eventually takes him down and he completely gets out grappled. He's got no game off of his back as he never does. And he loses the decision of Stevie Ray. Frustrating. More frustrating is the Clay Guida fight. Clay Guida does get outstruck standing, of course, but presses him up against the cage, grinds him, takes him down. When you talk about... A Darren Elkins, it's a prototypical fighter. Clay Guida was the originator of that prototypical style. Just grind on a guy, break him through. Can't take him down the first time, doesn't matter. Chain wrestle, press him up against the cage. Do you have better cardio than this guy? Can you break this guy? If you can, you're going to take the fight to where you want it, and that's where they thrive. He does the same thing. Elkins does the same thing. Malarkey does the same thing, and I think that's what the fight's probably going to play out to be. Malarkey just got deaded by Jalen Turner four months ago. So I think it's going to be clear the cobwebs is enough time. Paul was suggesting maybe getting knocked out like that just four months ago, like not a great look. But I've seen guys like get completely KO'd, stiff, stretchered out. They get a 60-day medical suspension. So he's taken two of those. It's 120 days. I think his head will be fine. 
Jalen Turner is an absolute animal. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. Because I decided to fade him this past weekend. Ooh. Things didn't exactly work out for me. Jalen Turner is six foot three at 155 pounds. Like he's an absolute beast of a man. And when you think about what he did to Brad Riddell, which was basically drop him and choke him out all in the span of 46 seconds, Malarkey fought him valiantly for the first round, took him down at the end of the first and had a little success. Second round got caught. I think he's got some perseverance. I think he's durable enough. I think he's got the cardio. He's a training partner of Alexander Volkanovsky, who everyone saw how good he was last weekend. I think there's a lot of good takeaways. He's just got to make sure he doesn't get clipped in the first minute, the first two minutes, the first three minutes. So I'm going to take Jamie Malarkey. I'm leaning towards the Malarkey by decision. I think that even though he can put pace on Johnson and try to break him, Johnson should be able to at least survive. Won't get caught with the submission. Could be a late Malarkey TKO finish, but I'm hoping Johnson holds on. So I would take the Malarkey, Malarkey by decision. And then furthermore, uh, I, I would look at maybe live betting it. Like if Johnson deads him in the first round, oof, wash my hands and leave this one. But if Johnson yeah. has some success in the first round but doesn't put Malarkey away, pff, I've seen Johnson win a lot of first rounds. When he doesn't finish in the first round, shit tends to go sideways for him, right? So keep uh, keep your eye on the live betting market as well. I like it. I like it. Again, another fight where we have a little bit of dissension, but – Again, it's always me taking the goddamn underdog over here. <laughs> you got to take dogs. Like, I, com- yeah. I completely get it. It's like, man, no, there's, there are some dogs that I know and, you're going to take for sure. Uh, yeah, and I got I got a lot of favorites on this card. But that yeah. being said, it's like I see it routinely. Like, And, and this is good guys. Paul Shaughnessy, uh, Clint, right? You you take a lot of dogs. You're like, I don't like this card, so I'll just I'll just spam bet five or six underdogs. And they all lose because they're underdogs. They're no good. You just spam bet some underdogs somewhere, right? It's like I like to zone in on like who, who are the dogs with like a legitimate chance. And on this card, I got two dogs. Yeah, but they're like what plus one twenty. Like is that real dog money? Like it's more of an even no money dog. fight. <laughs> yeah, I, I still call a dog. Oh yeah. shit, dude, dog money. These bookies are stupid. It's like plus one ten. Isn't even money fight. Stupid bookie. Action man, even money. Stupid bookie. <laughs> you know, Pereira minus. I think he's minus one ten. So how can you call him the underdog? He's minus one ten. But Strickland's minus one twenty. So technically, yeah. the underdog is Pereira, but. Ah, they're just all even money picks at the end of the day. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to this next fight because, again, we're back at women's MMA here. Mm. We got uh, Cynthia Calvillo going up against Nina Nunes. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 150 on Cynthia Calvillo and plus 130 to return on Nina Nunes. Now, the line got up to about minus 135 for Cynthia Calvillo, and then it came back down as uh, more money started to come back in on her. But man, I don't think I'll ever be able to forgive her for that last performance against Andrea Lee. She she quit on herself. Yeah, I mean, she was getting touched up. She couldn't get anything going. She had no confidence in that fight. And uh, I thought, you know, if she could get a wrestling going, if she could start getting these takedowns, get that jujitsu going, maybe things would start looking better for her. But man, Andrea Lee just absolutely rolled her off in that fight. And eventually, we uh, we saw her uh, win that fight via via I guess fighter retirement, doctor stoppage, whatever you want to call it. But uh, in between rounds two and three, she ends up waving the fight off. Uh, here against Nina Nunes, you know, Nunes uh, still trying to find that W, that first W as a mom. Uh, she obviously came back uh, against uh, Mackenzie Dern last April, uh, or sorry, uh, April of 2021, I should say. And she looked good. She looked okay. But then she got taken down and then she got armbar. So that was a big uh, no-no for her there. But Cynthia Calvillo, Calvillo has a good jiu-jitsu game, right? That's probably her best trait. Her wrestling seems to need some work, right? It doesn't really look the most effective. She was able to land some takedowns against uh, Jessica I, and that obviously allowed her to win that fight. 
but she couldn't get anything going against Andrea Lee last time around. She got one takedown on three attempts, got 40 seconds of control time, and that was the bit. that was pretty much it, right? I'll give her a pass on the Jessica Andrade fight. It's fucking Jessica Andrade. I'll give her a pass on the Catelyn Jukagan fight. Even though she was a minus 240 favorite that night, I still do think that, um, that uh, you know, Jukagan is just a very tough matchup for a lot of people. On the flip side for Nina Nunes, she is on a two-fight losing streak, but look at those two names, Tatiana mm. Suarez and Mackenzie Dern. Can you really bang on her for that, right? She survived 15 minutes against Tatiana Suarez, and she gave Dern a decent run before she eventually got taken down and armbarred, but I don't think she has to worry about Mackenzie Dern-type jiu-jitsu here against Cynthia Calvillo. We saw good things from Nina Nunes before the layoff, right? The, the Claudia Gadelia fight. Talk about a, a, an upset victory that night. I remember it was in Toronto, and she was a plus 240 underdog, springs the upset nice and early in the night. And that capped off a four-fight winning streak for her. She has the chops to make this fight close. I think she could be technically the better striker here. But as long as she can keep this fight upright, that's the way she wins this fight. But rather than banking on either side here, what I'm actually going to be looking at is the fight-to-go decision. Uh, minus 175 for the, the fight-to-go-to decision. We saw another fight last week, uh, you know, a women's MMA fight, because we know women's MMA fights normally is capped at like minus 300, minus 350, even minus 400 for it to go to a decision. Last week, we had Macy Barber against Jessica I. That to-go-to-decision was hanging around minus 220. Minus 250. And I'm like, we got to take advantage of these these spots here because, you know, I think it, it's just, it's it skewed because of the last fight, right? I think it was Jessica obviously getting her head decapitated. Macy Barber, uh, I can't remember. It was the uh, Montana De La Rosa fight, which went to a decision. So I'm not sure why the line was as low as it was. But here especially, right, we saw Calvillo obviously get stopped in the fight prior to that. And Nina Nunes get stopped in her last fight as well. So I think that's why we're getting minus 175. And I think we need to take advantage of it because I think both these girls cancel each other out. They don't have crazy knockout power. Sure, the only winning condition here I could see is maybe a Calvio sub, but I don't think she's going to have much pos positional dominance if and when she does get this fight to the ground. Calvio by submission currently sets out plus 350. That's the best shot at a finish in my opinion, right? Look, look, look at the odds for the rest of it. Plus 650 for Nunes by KO. Plus 1,400 for Nunes by submission, plus 750 for Calvio by KO. So the obvious finishing route here would be submission by Calvio. But I think that Nunes will show good enough submission defense to be able to, you know, squeak this over uh, over the 15-minute uh, mark. So I'm going to actually lead Nunes by landing the better damage, getting the better of the striking, and ultimately winning a decision, which is plus 225. But I might take a, a nibble on that fight goes to decision at minus 175, maybe even if it's just to win one unit. I like this to go 15 minutes. What about yourself, Cody? Yeah, I like it to go 15 minutes as well. But again, a, another fight and a card sprinkled with these. You can't be confident on either side. On one hand, you got Cynthia Calvillo, three-fight losing streak, quit on her stool in her last fight. All the things you mentioned. She's supposed to be known for wrestling. It's not that good anymore. It's supposed to be known for striking. Volume's not good anymore. Uh, doesn't wear a punch particularly well. She stripped her gloves off after she quit uh, for her last fight against Andrea Lee. Like, she was going to retire. She's 34 years old. She's left team alpha male. She's in Vegas, I believe, now. Yeah, like, it's like, yeah, maybe this is a good time to call it a day. You're not competitive anymore, at least not at the upper echelon. You know, uh, she had never been stopped, and then Jessica Andrade finishes her easy. Okay, fine. It's Jessica Andrade. You give her a pass. Then Andrea Lee bullies her. She can't get her wrestling going. She gets beaten up standing, busted up, quits mentally. Bad spot for a fighter. So how could you now jump behind them and be like, yeah, I'm going to bet them. I don't know. For Nunes, meanwhile, if the version of her that fought Claudia Gadelia in 2018 showed up, 
She probably does win. She got awesome volume, striking very good. She's someone that doesn't have great takedown defense, but at the same time has good scrambles. Um, fights very defensive off her back, doesn't get caught in a whole lot. And just when the fight is standing, she's going to continuously put volume on her. Claudia was willing, will, uh, winning the early portion of the fight, but the longer she's able to tire out and push a pace, she gets to her. The Tatiana Suarez fight. She didn't look that bad, man. Honestly, like third round, Tatiana Suarez is tired. And Nina Ansaroff, she's Ansaroff at the time. She's Nina Nunes now. But uh, Nunes is just like still chipping away, still doing some excellent work. It was a solid fight. Then they have this child, right? Adopt the child. You got her wife is the world champion. Her wife's fighting big Not fights. She had the child. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So at, at that point, it's like her career took a back seat, right? It's all about, you know, Amanda Nunez's career. And so Nina Ansaroff, Nina Nunez, whatever you want to call her. You know, I just don't, I don't know what the training was like. I don't know what the situation was like. She got a little bit older and then she comes back to fight Mackenzie Dern. And I just want everyone to be fully aware that like Mackenzie Dern's rocking a 9% takedown accuracy in the UFC. Has like 10 fights in the UFC. Has three takedowns in her entire UFC career. Tries all the time. Can't get them. Not a good wrestler, a fine grappler, excellent grappler, not a good wrestler. So the fact that she got taken down that quickly and that easily by Mackenzie Dern is certainly a red flag. Now, I was willing to pick her yesterday, but in my heist, in my like quickness, I, I completely overlooked the fact that Nina Ansaroff's moving up to 125 for this fight. She never fought at 125. She has a career 115, but now she's taken off a year and a half. She has effectively one fight in the last three years. She easily got out-muscled by Mackenzie Dern to the ground, who's not known for her wrestling. Now she's going to move up a weight class and take on Cynthia Calvillo. I wanted the underdog. I picked the underdog on the show yesterday, but now I'm thinking, you want to sit and watch weigh-ins for sure. Like, give Calvillo a pass. She lose to elite-level girls, but also, like, you know, some bigger elite-level girls. So I, I want to give her a little bit of credit there. Her wrestling will be more effective against a smaller opponent, one that hasn't fought in 16 months, one that's not known for her takedown defense. And if you just take her down and set up shop, do you think Nina Nunes is going to sub her with a submission off her back? Hells no. So all she's got to do is just like not get engaged in these stupid striking battles and grind on her. And for someone who's been TKO'd first time, two fights ago, second time, last fight, two straight fights, you've been TKO'd. You probably don't want to stand up for a prolonged period of time anyway. So I think she's going to look to wrestle and look to grind. And that would be the path of victory. So if you look at it from that regard, the minus 175 fight goes the distance, still looks good. On the side, still looks good. The, the Calvillo by decision, plus 150, also looks good. So that, that's that's kind of the right I think I'm leaning at this moment till I see weigh-ins. Uh, I'm glad that you brought up the weight change here for Nina Nunes as well. But I, I think it will be more of a point of emphasis if it was a girl that was a you know, a lifetime 125er with Calvillo. It was, she was always missing weight at 115, right? Well, so yeah, because she's way at, too big. That yeah. tells you everything you need to know yeah, right there. This probably. girl was too big for 115. Yeah. So it's like, okay. She did make 15 a couple times, but yeah, near near the ending of it. She, I think her last time fighting at 115, she waited at 120.4 or some shit like that. Like she missed it by a big, big mark there. But uh, yeah, no. Yeah, it was against Marina Rodriguez. It was the draw. She starts out awesome. Yeah. And then there's the 10. Oh no, she starts off terrible, but ends up getting a 10 8 in the third to save herself yeah. cardio looked good then she went five rounds of jessica i low-key no one remembers that was the main event because it was a terrible main event it should have never yeah. been booked as a main event the first part never but five rounds right she actually lands i think two takedowns 111 significant strikes cardio didn't look half bad but kayla jukagian is a world former world title challenger she's top notch um jessica draws is a former world champion she's top notch Andrea Lee to a lesser extent, but Lee was jacked up in that fight. Physically yeah. strong. I've been working on her grappling. Hus or, you know, it's crazy. 
her ex-man, right, that Donnie guy, uh, ends up being like a neo-Nazi, does jail time, burned her with a cigarette and like had her locked up in his place. So she gets away from it and it's like, oh, damn, finally meets a nice guy, Tony Kelly. UFC just got him today. UFC <laughs> <laughs> just got him today. Nice guy. Just like, yeah, right, right. It's like, ah, ah, that's why it must really suck to be a father of a daughter, right? Because it's like, you just, you just don't know. Don't end up some asshole. Dude, I had, I had Elliot Marshall on my show on Friday. Shout out Elliot, the fire marshal. The fire, uh, yeah. OG. He, he had, he did a podcast. Remember when Donald Stroney had a podcast, the BMF cast or whatever the fuck it was called? Like, don't was, remember that, but I, it, I know Donald's had many business ventures over yes, the last year. He had a podcast where he was doing it out of his uh, bar that he set up on the ranch there, the BMF ranch that he had down there in Albuquerque. And it was just a bar where he's behind the bar and just talking to a bunch of people. And on this episode, he had Elliot Marshall, he had Alistair Overeem, he had Brandon Sixcut Gibson, he had a baby face Paul Felder on there as well. But uh, I asked Elliot about that podcast and he goes, you know, the funny thing about that whole week that I was there or a couple of days that I was there was uh, Andrea Lee was there and Andrea Lee's man was there. And as a black Jewish man, <laughs> he goes, I gave him the stink eye. I'm like, hey, what the fuck is all this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. For he goes, sure. oh, I was in jail. I have to do things that I need to do to, to, to survive all that type of shit. He goes, whatever, fuck you. And he's just like, get out of here. <laughs> That's but hilarious. Yeah, that, that was absolutely. I'm like, why is he bringing up Andrea Lee from like five years ago? I don't even think she was like a legitimate professional fighter by that point. And then he goes, oh, it's because of her man is why I brought it up. But they, yeah, they're down. They're training for a little bit. Here's, here's, here's a funny one for you. So like I just, when I found, first found out, MMA is like 2005 like I just fell in love like I'd watch anything fell in fights like didn't matter what bum fight or bum fights itself right like I'd watch anything just loved it so MTV comes out with MTV caged which is like a super shit ass reality show where uh they they went to Louisiana they went to like butt fuck Louisiana and they took a round of amateur kids and they were like we're gonna follow them through their journey through the amateurs to the pros it was super low level shit but very so super coincidentally the show starts out one dude bum ass amateur ends up breaking his back in a motorcycle accident and he's paraplegic now other guy bum ass amateur fighter uh his girlfriend dies in a car accident his parents had money he was a really pretty boy on the Jesus. show i know i know i know third guy on the show matt schnell right who ends up making yeah. it to the ufc and ends up being a badass and then the first two episodes uh, it mostly focuses on them. There's one other guy who like flops in and out. He's like total bum shit. Watch the show. It's bum shit. And they replace that guy with Tony Kelly. So these guys, Matt Chanel and Tony Kelly, they train together in this butt fuck reality show in the middle of nowhere. And both of them ended up making it to the UFC. So on the show, they're just young kids, man. Pops, like high school kids, like fresh. I think Tony yeah. Kelly's a couple years older than Chanel. So he's like 21. Chanel's like 19. And they train in this karate mafia down in Louisiana. And this Donnie guy is the head coach, right? <laughs> that Donnie guy is the guy that ended up beating up Andrea Lee, the, the girl that Tony Kelly ends up with down the road, <laughs> right? And then like episode five, this Donnie guy goes to jail and he tells Matt Schnell, he's like, it's up to you, kid. You got to run the gym. Like, bah, bah, bah. you got to keep things going, hold down the fort. Gives the keys to the place to him, goes to jail. And then Schnell runs the place for like three weeks and then quits because he's like, I can't focus on my own career and running a gym. I'm not even going to classes anymore. Like too much stress for a young kid. So the show's super fascinating that two of these guys, super obscure from the middle of nowhere, actually ended up making the UFC. And then Andrea Lee somehow gets wrapped into this whole story. Like 
The whole thing's whack. And I know we're super off topic, but it's just like <laughs> I love it. We I know you know when it's like all small world shit. Like it is an incredibly small world. I got a call from Clint today. Random message from this guy from Nashville, Tennessee. We want to fly you out. Comment you're gonna do commentary on this show August thirteenth. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Get a random message from Clint, our boy, right? Uh diehard. And he's like, uh, yo, man, I heard you're doing the show in Nashville. I was just like, how'd you hear about that? He got invited to do the same thing. It's like you talk to somebody and they run a show and then they know somebody else and then this person knows somebody. And it's like, that's why I always like preach, like, just be nice to everybody. Don't be a bridge yeah. burner, right? That does you no good. Because even a guy that's like a dickhead now could be Pat Mayo. Fuck, I hated Pat Mayo. For six months I knew him. What an asshole this guy is. But we went to college together, right? Yeah. And then it's like by October of that first year, I was like, Dude's a pretty good guy. And then now one of my best friends, like, you know, couldn't say enough good stuff about the guy. Truly a good human being. It's like sometimes you got to break through. Donnie, head coach from Karate Mafia, piece of shit. Piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Kelly, I don't know the guy personally. I got him on Facebook. But, like, you know, potentially potentially a piece of shit. So all jokes aside, uh, it seems like you are going with Nunez by decision. Yeah. I'm going Calvillo by decision. It's another one we don't agree on. I've got the favorite. you got the underdog. But we both can agree. Minus 175, but goes the distance. Looks good. I love it. I love it. I do quickly want to address it here this year from Bufo on the beat saying Elliot wanted to whip my ass for comparing Fluffy Hernandez to Cain Velasquez. I said he fights like him. I didn't say he's going to be like him. He Does. fights like him. So let's get that straight. And Elliot doesn't want to accept that, but I'm glad that he showed it off in his last fight against Josh Fremd. Eight takedowns. Yeah, relentless. Exactly. Thank you, Cody. I'm glad that you're on my side for that. All right. Let us move on to the next fight here. We got a sloppy heavyweight fight slotted in this like middle main cards spot, right? Like, I don't know how they always come up with it. We get the Alan Baudos against Josh Parisian in this spot. We get the Chase Shermans against Jake Colliers. We get the, you know, Chase Sherman against Parker Porter. Like, they always find their way to be in the middle of the card. I even, like, look through the rest of the upcoming cards, and they have a couple other fights where they just somehow stick them in the middle of the main card. This, no different. We got uh, Chase Sherman coming in as a plus 165 underdog, minus 195 the return on Jared Vandera. Interesting fight here. Chase Sherman coming off a four-fight losing streak. I believe the UFC is giving him the benefit of the doubt considering he took a short notice spot against Alexander uh, Romanov. Ended up falling short there. But even Jared Vandera on a three-fight losing streak himself. Um starting with that loss to Alexander Romanov. Then he loses a split to Andrzej Olovsky. That should have been a unanimous. Uh, Vander starts turning it on later in the fight. If he had started off a little bit earlier, he probably would have come away with the victory. And then obviously last time around, starts playing jiu-jitsu with uh, Alexei Olenek. And, you know, he shouldn't be doing that. I mean, uh, somebody sent me this one screenshot of the fight where Jared Vandera has Olenek's back. And they're like, this is the point I knew he was going to get submitted. <laughs> and I'm like... Man, obviously, no yeah, doubt. <laughs> that, was jokes. that was jokes, and he's apparently a black belt Vandera, but it's like there's a not only levels to this shit. Yeah, there's really exactly. levels, and he ain't there. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, uh, Vandera, from what I know, and when he is really on his game, we get the Justin Toffa fight, right? We get him sticking and moving. We see him using his movement, uh, his his combinations. Uh, you know, he doesn't just box. He likes to use kicks as well. Uh, very thorough in that aspect. And he can put good output out there as well. That's something that will be very important, especially in this fight against Chase Sherman. Chase Sherman pretty much just relies on the knockout, right? Like he's not very much a, a, a an output guy, a volume-based guy. He wants to put that big power on you, try to knock you down, try to knock you out. So I do lean Vandera in this spot, obviously, but it's very difficult to trust him at minus 190. 
I do believe in his durability though, right? Like I think he's only ever been finished when he gets taken down and like grinded out or like ch- choked or or ground and pounded from on top. Um, Chase Sherman's not doing that. You know what I mean? Chase Sherman's looking to take your head off, to land a couple of kicks and then take your head off. That's what Chase Sherman's game is. So Vandera should be able to, you know, dance around him and land some good strikes from the outside and outpoint him from there. I'm seeing a lot of takes about Jared Vandera wanting to take this fight to the ground and use his jujitsu. He's plus 700 for Vandera to win by jujitsu. I think that's more a tenfold hat type of stuff. I do think that we'll see a clean performance out of Vandera here, outstriking Chase Sherman on the feet, taking home a decision victory. And that is currently sitting at plus 300. I don't mind the over one and a half here either at minus 170. Give me Jared Vandera. What about yourself? You giving Chase Sherman more of a shot than I am? Finally, we disagree with one. Well, I'll take the underdog. Uh, yeah, hey, yeah. Again, and again, I can't stress this enough. Greasy as hell. Don't want a whole lot of confidence on it. But yeah, I think I think I'm gonna go with Chase Sherman. It's more so like the devil you know than the devil you don't. Chase Sherman's case, like I know he's got some legitimate skills. Problem is, is that anybody that stretches him longer than a round and a half, his game completely falls apart. He's actually rocking a people don't believe this, but he's rocking a one, two, three, four. Five, six. He's technically rocking a seven-fight losing streak within the UFC. Now, people will say, whoa, whoa, whoa. He beat Ike Villanueva, but he actually tested positive after the Ike Villanueva fight and got suspended for it. So why that fight never got turned to a no contest, I don't know. But the last time he theoretically looked good, his back was covered in acne, and he got posted. He got there flagged afterwards. Since then, it hasn't been great. But the good takeaways is the Andre Arlovsky fight. He wins the first round. He almost knocks out Arlovsky in the first Second round, starts off well, and then he fatigues, unfortunately. Loses the second and third, loses the decision. Does land 88 significant strikes. Decent output, faded. Against Parker Porter, same thing. At work, taken down late. Does land 117 significant strikes. Output's there for him. The Jay Collier fight, taken down right away. Mounted, gives up his back, rear naked choke. Terrible performance. It shows how bad he is on the ground. The Romanov fight, his takedown defense actually looked decent. He stuffed a couple early takedowns. He got back up a few times, but then like that, that ability to just swarm on him and consistently keep coming. Romanov was able to break him down, and then Romanov submits him. But you can tell that there's like improvements to his grappling. You can tell that he's one of these low-level heavyweights, but if you're going to fight other low-level heavyweights, he's got something he could, in theory, present, right? Jared Vandera hasn't shown me shit. Honestly, hasn't shown me shit. The Harry Hunsucker fight on Contender Series, he got wobbled bad by Harry Hunsucker standing and then eventually falls on top of him and submits him. It's a bad look. The Sergey Spivak fight in his debut, easily taken down, absolutely mauled. They say he's a BJJ black belt, but he gets easily taken down by Sergey Spivak, easily smashed with ground and pound, offers absolutely nothing off of his back, not that good. Also, for a guy that's like 6'4", 265 pounds, uh, his takedown defense is also not very good. The Justin Toffa fight, yeah, better, but Toffa super low level, was 3-1 and one at the time. And then since then, it's been much of the same. He didn't pull the trigger against Andre Olovsky. You know, it's super low output. The uh, the Alexei Olenek fight, he puts himself in a bad spot and gets submitted. The Romanov fight, he presented, you know, very little. He got taken down and that was it. He got smashed on. I give you passes on guys that are badass, like Romanov, guys that are top contenders, guys that were bad stylistical matchups for you. But the Arlovsky fight, there's, there's no... There's no reason why you should just stay there gun-shy when you know he's going to do the same thing. So people are expecting him to do the same volume he had against Tafa. Landed 121. He's a volume guy. But I don't think he is. I think he's plotting. And he stands in front of you and he waits for you. And he waits for you to hit him before he's willing to hit you back. His wrestling, he's scored effectively one takedown. Not in the UFC. It was on Contender Series against Harry Hunsucker of all people. Who, by the way, is fighting at 205 now. He's not a wrestler. 
Is BJJ black belt that dude? That's on paper. Like what BJJ black belt? Every time you see him on the ground, he's awful. So if he's not going to take down Chase Sherman, which I don't think he's going to, and he's not going to use any of that grappling, we got a 15 minute striking battle. And you've got one where Chase Sherman is actually faster, uh, quicker, better hands, throws everything a lot sharper. He's going to just chip away with the jab from the outside, lands leg kicks, and he's going to allow this guy to just plod around and follow him around the cage. It is the apex. It is a small cage. But I think uh, Chase Sherman knows, do or die, UFC paid him his, they paid him his double his show money for that last fight with Romanov. Yeah. The favor, he loses, four fight losing streak, and they say, Chase, we're going to bring you back again and pay you decent, and we're going to give you Jared Vandera, who's shit. That's them trying to help him out in any way possible. Now, low-level heavyweights, and you, you're good at women's MMA, but you are awesome at the shit heavyweights because it's like, expect the unexpected. They got, yeah. both of them got bad cardio as far as I'm concerned. Both of them make a ton of mistakes. Both of them both of them got lackluster car, uh, grappling. And you're going to give me plus 170 on the one guy, Chase Sherman. That's interesting. You know what's even more interesting? Chase Sherman wins this fight probably by staying to the outside, kicking the leg, using the jab, fighting smart. And I think he's going to go out there and do that. Him by decision, plus 500. Excellent price tag. So I'm going to go chase Sherman as the official underdog, and I'm going to try to chase that uh, chase the dragon on the plus 500 by decision. Jeez. I, I didn't expect Chase Sherman to be the dog that you're going to end up going with here. But again, sloppy heavyweights, you know, middling, not middling, even like actually, I, I guess they're middling heavyweights at this point in time. But yeah, uh, close, close fight. But uh, I will go with a favorite here. No way I'm parting ways with my money at minus 190, though. Vandera right. is one in three in the UFC, right? And Chase Sherman is two and two, two and three, two and four, two and five, three and five, three and six, three and seven, <laughs> three and eight, three and nine. Chase Sherman is three and nine, and one of those should be a no contest. So Chase Sherman should be two and nine in the UFC, and Vandera's one and three in the UFC. One and you can four, go ahead and say they're not three. middling. They yeah. bought him with a barrel, okay? <laughs> but they were like, "Try to well, be nice, Cody. We're right, Canadian right, at the right. end of the It's day. like, okay, okay. What are, what are our other options? And it's just like, wow, Josh Parisian and Bodo just fought two weeks ago. It's like, okay, we'll run this one. And uh, the winners can fight each other in the next. Who is the lowest level guy in the UFC? I, I would throw Harry Hunsucker in the mix, but again, he's at 205 now. So he's at the worst guy at 205, not heavyweight. Jeez Louise. I don't know how they keep making these matchups, but it's the state of the heavyweight division. Let's They're on the main card. That's the thing you really yeah. got to question. Ronnie oh, Lauren it. versus Kamanov yeah. is the very what? first fight yeah. on the card. It's the equivalent to the Facebook prelims. Ain't nobody watched at that time other than the hardcores like you, me, and the 160 live viewers. Like those are people that are hardcore to it. We watched the first fights, but they buried his ass considering that a legitimate contender is going to come from that fight. Whereas you got guys that are like, two and nine in the ufc that are taking up but you know why heavyweights people sure do love the heavyweights dude uh ufc 277 they have Derek lewis and sergey pavlovich in uh, the middle of the main card there i get it Derek lewis is a fucking popular heavyweight but the week after that uh augusto sakai sergey spivak that's guaranteed going to be the middle of the main card right like that is what they want they want those fucking heavyweights there the real test here is going to be martin boudet versus lucas berseski and that's on the August 13th card. Let's see where they put that. Let's see if they stick with their middling heavyweights and the, the casual fan just wants to see heavyweights who gives a fuck about the name. We'll see August 13th where they put that matchup because that will be the true test. 
Yeah, well, you know what I'd like to see? Maybe they won't do it for safety reasons, but surely there's a commission out there, Arkansas, Kentucky, Tennessee. Somebody's Florida, really Texas. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, I'd like to see a world-class middleweight versus a shitty light heavyweight. <laughs> a shitty heavyweight. Like, give me give me uh, Chase Sherman against, you know, who are some of the... Andre Muniz. No, or, no not a, you said world-class middleweight, right? Sorry, I apologize. Yeah, well, even then, like, if, if I told you Israel Adesanya is fighting Chase Sherman, then the natural response is, oh, is he going to kick his ass? But at the same time, you're like, is, is he going to be... <laughs> this dude is 250. He's a fucking big hunk of a man. And like, is he like to kind of stay at the outside and like play with his food and like dance around? Like the ideas start popping in your head. So like one guy's considered trash. The other guy's world class, but it's interesting. That's what I noticed when I would put on MMA fights is that it'd be like, you know, people would, they don't want to buy Demetrius Johnson fights, but like, why are they not beating him? Cause it's like, because the worst guy on an amateur card that weighs 250 plausibly could defeat Demetrius Johnson. Right. So even some guy with no skill is more dangerous than the most skilled guy ever at 125 pounds uh maybe not ever maybe ever he might still be hey. the best guy at 125 mighty mouse can't be overlooked maybe if alex burr knocks out sean strickland in his next fight or sorry uh, uh izzy in the next fight they get Prayer. the rematch Pereira mm. knocks him out again is israel adesanya <laughs> moves up in weight gets loses there then decides heavyweight we might get chase sherman versus israel adesanya by 2024 who knows cody's cody's uh, mr cody is uh mystic saftic is just around the corner guys you never fucking know when he uh throws something out there all right let, let's move on we got three more fights here i'm very interested in this one though it's a great bantamweight fight we got saeed nurmagomedov going up against douglas silva dion Draj. minus 320 now for saeed nurmagomedov plus 265 to return on douglas silva dion Draj, who uh he's been good to me in the past but he's also been very bad to me as well Specifically, this last fight where he uh, ended up going out there and knocking out Sergey Morozov uh, in a fight where Morozov was having success in that first round with some good striking, good boxing, but he fell in love with it too much and ended up paying for it. And Douglas was able to get him out of there. I wish Morozov uh, grappled a little bit more, a little bit more proactively, and he probably wouldn't have been staring up at the lights after that fight. On the flip side for Saeed Nurmagomedov, just goes out there and dusts Cody Stamen within a minute of that fight. I believe he hurts him early and then locks up uh, a submission and gets him out of there. So big wins for both guys in their last fights, but, you know, big odds here on Saeed Nurmagomedov. And I can't say I disagree. You know, I mean, I've had my questions about Saeed. I think I even picked Cody Stamen to win that fight, but... We didn't get to see that fight really even play out because Saeed can be a banshee right off the jump. And I think he can do that here against Douglas. I'd be surprised if Douglas is able to close the distance enough to, uh, you know, land big enough shots on Saeed to make him, to, to hurt him. But on the flip side with Saeed, I think he could tear him up with some of these spinning back kicks and and just work from the outside. Um, I do like Saeed quite a lot here. I do think he even has the chops to go out there and finish Douglas. Douglas is getting up there, man. Let me just quickly confirm his age here. But the guy looks... Like he he's getting into like the Nogera territory, right? Where they just look oh, old as fuck. No, this guy's got a eighty-five that like anybody would kill for. Like he's the most shredded middle-aged man I've ever seen. In my I'm just life. saying though, he, he just looks, looks old. That's it. He, he just looks, looks old. good. He just is old. His face. He, he's born in eighty-five, so he's what like thirty-seven. Oh, uh, that's considered old. <laughs> I don't know why, but yeah. So he's thirty-seven now. On the flip side, for Saeed Nurmagomedov, we're looking at a guy that was born in ninety-two, so you know, thirty years old at this point in time so he has a seven-year youth advantage as well he'll definitely have the speed advantage 
he could have the power advantage as well. And I do think that's going to come into play here. I think he eventually clips uh, Douglas here, whether it be the second or third round, and then he puts him out and gets that win. Uh, Saeed by KO, plus 225. Sign me up. You know, even Saeed inside the distance at plus 100. I don't mind that either in case he decides to go the club and sub route, just as he did against uh, Cody Stamen. And then on the flip side for Douglas, I mean, by KO, how else does he win? Plus 60, plus 650 by KO. I'm going Saeed, Saeed KO. What about yourself? Yeah, well, I got the same thing, but I don't know that I'm going to be ballsy enough to pull the trigger on the KO because, like, in the same breath, I think he's going to be able to hurt Douglas and Draj, and then he might just snatch up the submission, right? You see it a lot of times in transition. Guys will get hurt by something. They'll get wobbled. The fight will hit the ground. There's an opportunity to grab the submission, and guys will do that. And with Saeed Nurmagomedov, he likes to blend in uh, grappling as well, right? You saw Cody Stamen, a guy that's super cast iron, good submission defense. He grabbed that neck for two seconds and he put him away. So this is much of the same. If Diandraj gets hurt and makes a bad shot, desperation takedown attempt, leaves his neck out there, he's going to get snagged up. In the same breath, I think the striking is going to be the path to opening that submission up regardless because like, I don't think he needs to go out there and just take down Diandraj right away. I think he's going to be way faster, way more mobile. He's just going to intercept him with something and clip him. Sayadir Magomedov's got some legitimate striking. Uh, you saw in the Ricardo Ramos fight, body kick sets it up. It's like very crisp work. Ramos, also, he's a fairly durable guy, right? So to hurt him with the body kick and put him away first round, ultra impressive stuff. Mark Stragel, same thing, left hook, 51 seconds into the first round. Knocks him out. You see that his, his power is there for a lighter weight class guy. The striking's there, but it's the speed. It's to be able to beat your opponent to the punch, yeah. catch him with something. His ability to mix in grappling as well, that's just going to make him that next level, that you know, that elite level guy. Diandraj, meanwhile, he is tough as a banshee. And I'll admit one thing. This guy is one of these guys that the UFC should take to dinner, and they should help the guy out here and there. Because, I mean, he shows fights against Larone Murphy, Hennon Barrow, Peter Yan, Rob Font, Marlon Vera. He's got a win over Marlon Vera for the record. Zuberto Hugov. Like, he's fought who's who of guys. It's that he's generally there for a reason. He's tough. He's durable. He'll give you a few rounds. The elite-level guys have always been able to surpass him. Hell, he's actually 0-2 against Russians to begin with because he lost to Peter Yan and Zuberto Hugov. But in this case, I do think it's going to be a finish inside the distance. Sergey Morozov is this close to putting him away. He rocks him in the first round. He has um, some refs may have considered stopping it. Ground and pound could have put him away. He could have switched over to a submission and put him away. But he left him off the hook. He tired himself out. And then Diandraj was able to catch him in the second round. I don't think that's going to be a problem with Saeed Nurmagomedov. I think he's going to put that same pace in the first round. And then when the opportunity presents itself that he hurts you and that he's on top, he's going to put you away with the ground and pound. Or he could put you away with the submission. If it doesn't happen in the first, I don't expect him to tire in the second. I expect him to keep coming at him in the second. So I think he gets the job done. I think he gets the job done inside the distance. The interesting way about attacking this one is inside the distance is, you said, plus 105, right? Uh, plus 100, and then by KO is plus 220. Yeah, so inside the distance is plus 100. It's just straight up even. But him by submission is 325, and by knockout mm -hmm. is plus 265. So honestly, like I'd be way more inclined to put my whatever your unit is. It could be a dollar. It could be $10. It could be $100. I'd be more inclined, whatever you actually want to bet on this fight. I, I would rather say, you know what? If I was to put the one unit standardized, whatever, let's say 100 because it's easier to do the math on. On TKO, if it wins, I'm going to make back 265. But my submission prop one loses, but that's okay. Bucks at 65 profit. If my submission prop hits, then I'm going to make 325, lose the 100 on the KO prop, so I make 225 profit. But if you just hit the inside the distance, it's just even money. You're just doubling your money. So like the value is not betting the inside the distance. It's just betting both inside the distance props but of course this is mma so as you do that the 
the fight goes the distance, or Nurmagomedov blows his knee out, or just something stupid, right? Uh, gets thrashed for an entire round and then comes back and wins in the second. Believe me, hurt me when Morozov lost. It hurt oh. me. I'd be surprised, off, baby. I, I think Morozov threw like the kitchen sink at him in that first round. It was really, really starting to slow down. He gassed himself think, uh, out big yeah. time, and that's the Try difference between him. a mid-level guy and an upper-class guy. And yeah. I think Nurmagomedov is an upper-class guy. He's going to make the right decisions. Morozov just went bang for broke, and Morozov has that kind of style. So, I think if anything, he lost, but he exploited his opponent. Right? He gave us a better blueprint on how to defeat this man. And with Diandraj, avoid his power. Right. We already know how to defeat him. Use your speed. Use, your, use the athleticism. Use the superior striking numbers. And in this case, use the grappling as well. So we're completely in agreement in this one. I love it. I love it. I can't believe he was 22-0 at one point when he made his UFC debut and then obviously lost his UFC debut. All right. Let us move on to the co-main event. I don't know what the marketing machine is with Kyle Baraglio, but this is the second time he's found himself in the co-main event slot. Uh is he a big name? I don't think so, but it is what it is. Either way, he's here in the co-main event slot taking on Armin Petrosian. In terms of odds, we got minus 225 on Boraglio and uh, plus 190 to return on Petrosian. Interestingly enough, Boraglio opened up at minus 145. Excuse me. Uh, opened up at minus 145 and took a ton of action, making him a big favorite in the spot. And got to be honest, I'm not completely on board with it. Like, okay, he looked good in his last fight, got 10 minutes of control time against Omar Gadziev, I believe it was. Uh, the fight before that, um, he beat the guy on the contender series, if I'm not mistaken. And then even before that, he beat our guy, Aaron Jeffrey, right? So good wins from there. He looks okay. Like he has that uh, Machida style of striking where he's just very light on his toes, dips in and out with his strikes, um, you know, very quick, very fast. He might have the speed advantage in this fight but he does leave his chin right up there waiting to be taken. And I'm very interested to see actually what the, the weigh-ins look like here, or actually the face-offs look like, because Tapology and UFC stats both have Kyle Boraglio at 5'10". They have Omar Gadziev at 6'1". And when you see these guys face off with each other, it does not look like that at all. Boraglio was much bigger than Omar Gadziev. Well, maybe not much, maybe an inch or two bigger than him. So I, I think the, the measuring tape is broken whenever Kyle used it because he's definitely not 5'10". But on the flip side for Petrosian, big guy at this weight class, right? He's six foot three, 71 inch reach. Obviously, Kyle will have the reach advantage here, but I think it's going to be nullified by the height of Armin in this spot. I still do think once these guys square off, Armin will likely still be the better... Or, taller guy maybe by two or three inches and i do think that's going to come into play here especially with such a decorated uh striker like armin petrosian um i loved what i saw from him in, in his last fight even though a lot of people think he lost that fight 127 significant strikes he gave up only a minute and a half of control time on two of three takedowns landed from gregory rodriguez but when we saw him get into those bad uh, spots where he got his back taken and he's already busted up and it looked like he's been through a war already and it looked like Rodriguez was likely going to get a submission there. He fights out of those positions and continues to make it difficult for his opponent to control him in those spots. He fights back to his feet, gets back to his handiwork, and that's why he is able to kind of pull away with the damage that he's landing in that fight. Kyle... I don't think he's going to have, you know, as much of an easy time as he did uh, when he fought Omar Gadziev last time around, right? There was no urgency from uh, Omar Gadziev to get back to his feet. He, he very much was content with just, you know, giving up that time, giving up that control time. You know, Gadzi just didn't seem to be really in it. And that was one of those fights. I think there was a there was some sort of illegal technique 
thrown by Kyle, which was deemed um, as an accident, which way, which is why the fight went to a technical decision and Kyle ended up getting his hand raised there. But I really think that uh, Gadzi wanted out of that fight. I don't think he wanted anything to do with uh, Kyle after what was going on in that fight. I think Armin, much more resistance. I think he's the better striker. I think he'll be, be able to land the better shots here. I think he'll be able to touch up the legs of Kyle, then start going up top and uh, really start to touch him there. And I think at a certain point, he knocks him out, man. I, I'm a big Armin Petrosian guy, and I'm very happy that he's at plus 195 here because I definitely want to take advantage of that. Not just his money line, but his KO prop here at plus 350 is very sexy to me as well. I think he gets the better of Kyle on the feet. I think he defensively grappling, I think he does well enough to keep Kyle out of his, uh, you know, his best positions, works back to his feet, and then starts putting it on Kyle once again. So I'll go Petrosian, continue to to disrespect the man but i'll continue to cash underdog tickets on him what about yourself cody where are you leaning in this spot yeah i mean i was down with the underdog cash last time out against gregory rodriguez i, I like armin petrosian i like what he brings to the table i got tuned up on that contender series fight against kyle and kolev where he was the underdog and i should have taken him but like kolev got a big grappling advantage and he took him down easy money three times in the first round and then completely exerted himself gassed out got tk'd at the end of the first Gregor Rodriguez, he had a lot of success with the grappling and said he got himself into a firefight and allowed the numbers to take over. Very close fight. And he shatters Armin Petrosian's face, takes his back, almost has him in a rear naked choke. The decision really could have gone either way. I was happy they yeah. gave it to our guy when we got the plus money, but super close. But in both instances, he 100% does get taken down and can get out grappled. What he does have is like a cast iron shin. This guy can kick a hundred times and not break his own leg. Like he just keeps kicking, kicking, kicking. A lot of volume, decent with his hands, a lot of aggression, a lot of forward pressure. But one, this is the apex, so it's a smaller cage. And I would expect, as such, he's going to need op room to operate with his uh, distance tricking. And I think uh, Kyle Baraha is going to have a good ability to swarm him up. The other thing you mentioned is that Armin Petrosian listed at six foot three, and you know Ko listed as five ten. Whether he is or he's not doesn't matter. Aaron Jeffrey's six foot three. Jesse Murray's six foot three. Didn't matter to those guys. Like KO's big, strong, physically fit. And even he's known as the fight nerd. Like the guy's got high ring IQ. Well, he's got a neck tat. I don't know how you can be a nerd with a neck tat, but outside of that, yeah, like outside of that, he seems to be like a fairly educated guy, well spoken. The UFC's put him into back to back main events, which is funny because they didn't even give him a contender series contract after he beat Aaron Jeffrey. Now yeah. all of a sudden they want to give him back-to-back co-main events. So Weird. there's no real rhyme or reason to the marketing machine, but I think they're realizing, you know, this kid's young, he's good looking, he speaks well, he's got a decent enough style, and he's super well-rounded. I wouldn't say he's an expert in any one area, but his striking is good, his wrestling is good, his jiu-jitsu is good. This is the key for me. When he fought Aaron Jeffrey, Aaron Jeffrey was having his second fight on Contender Series. He had been spending a lot of time on his wrestling. He was the favorite in the fight. Everybody's high on Aaron Jeffrey, right? I watched the tape on Kao Barahao. I thought this guy's going to be a problem. What I didn't realize is how physically strong at 185 pounds he'd be. He tossed around Jeffries in there, went three for four on takedowns, which Jeffrey has excellent takedown defense. But you saw this guy's very physically strong. Beats him, doesn't get a contract. Okay, That's on September 28th. On October 19th, three weeks later, they said, would you like to take a short notice fight against Jesse Murray at 205 pounds? And he did. And then he knocked out Jesse Murray in the first round at 205. Put on 20 pounds. What do you think his walk-around weight is? 210? He's definitely not 510. This is a big, strong, physical guy. And then the Omar Godziev fight, much of the same. People are saying, Cody, how could you go against the Russian? You know, Godziev's got this. He's got that. It's like, listen, Baraha is very strong. He's got good grappling. And the great thing about him is when you watch tape on the regional scene, 
He looks super limited. He really does, right? It, but but he also shows went to a decision in a grappling match against Jelton Almeida. Yes, that Jelton Almeida. This guy is big and he's strong. He's otherwise almost undefeated. You know, he's got one loss. It's his second fight. It's seven years ago. There's a lot good going for him, but I'm seeing a lot of rapid growth from him. So Godziev's 13 and 0. He's an undefeated Russian, but it's like Ko Baraha won 30-27, clean across the board, 10 minutes of control time, two takedowns of his own. Did get taken down once himself. Immediately hits a reverse lens up on top. And I just think that he's going to be too strong of a grappler for Armin Petrosian. Stand-up-wise, it's not like he's a fish out of water. It's that the volume would favor Armin Petrosian. So why bother standing for a prolonged period of time? But I think he'll strike early, find the openings, allow Petrosian to wade in, and then just hopefully grab a hold of him and rip him to the ground. And unlike the other guys that have gassed against Armin Petrosian, I would expect KO to uh, to do it for 15 minutes. So I got uh, KO Barahao, and I think I'm going to uh, chase it by the decision victory at plus 240. I, I could see that again. I, I do see the takedown defense discrepancies or, or issues that Petrosian has. I just like his ability to not settle and always look to get back to his feet. Hopefully he can do that successfully here against Kyle or knocks him out even before Kyle gets him to the ground because that would be even easier <laughs> and much less of a sweat. So we'll see how that one pans out. All right. Shout out to the 160 live viewers that we currently have. We are about to break down the main event for you guys. But before we do... Please make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below. Last time I checked the like count, we're at like 70 and we had over 170 people in here. The math does not add up, folks. <laughs> we're giving you guys two hours of our day. We really appreciate you guys checking it out. The least you guys can do is hit that like. Show us, show us you guys support us. Show us th that you guys are enjoying the show. And uh, that will let the all-star know that you guys are enjoying the show as well. All right. Uh, also, shout out to betonline.ag. If you guys are looking for anywhere to bet on MMA, even regionally, Bet Online has you guys covered. Better, or sorry, um, uh, Battlefield Fight League from Vancouver is taking place in about three hours' time. You guys can watch it on Fight Pass, but you can bet on it on betonline.ag. If you guys use the link in the description below, they'll match your initial deposit up to a thousand bucks. So make sure you guys go check that out and take full advantage of that. And then lastly, shout out to CloudBet, which we'll get to after this main event because they got a couple props for us to check out for this upcoming card. All right, main event time. We got, a, we got a high-level, lightweight fight on the docket here. A fight that's been put together a couple times now. We got the veteran, Rafael Dos Anjos, coming in against uh, Rafael Fiziev. Minus 210 on Fiziev, plus 180 the return on Dos Anjos. Um, yeah, so looking at the topology here, they were actually scheduled two times prior. Uh, it was rescheduled the first time, I believe, because of a visa issue. And then after that, Fiziev tested positive on fight week. And uh, that's when we ended up getting Hanato Moicano stepping in on short notice against Dos Anjos. Almost snatches the hype off of Dos Anjos by, uh, you know, rallying back in that fifth round and landing some good strikes. But unfortunately, the overall work of Dos Anjos comes through that night and he ends up beating Moicano by decision. On the flip side for Rafael Fiziev, on a pretty good run here, he obviously lost his first ever fight in the UFC by spinning back to uh, Magomed Mustafaev. But since then, he's been able to put together five straight wins. Two of those fights he's been able to finish, which was Anato Moicano, the aforementioned, uh, beats him by left hook. Beautiful finish there. And then the wheel kick knockout of Brad Riddell back in December. Fiziev's knocking on that top five, top seven. And uh, Dos Anjos is the guy that he has to get through to get that behind him. 
interesting fight here, Cody. Um, I, I am going to lean with the younger guy here in Fiziev. I do think that his striking will be able to, his striking, his speed, and his strength will allow him to keep this fight in his realm for at least three rounds. Things might get a little bit shaky in rounds four and five, but I think he'll be able to stay safe enough to uh, nullify any type of finishing possibility from RDA the later that this fight goes. I do think that uh, Fiziev is obviously the better striker. I do think his grappling is improving, but there's a couple of things that we just have to be worried about, which is why I'm not ultimately playing Fiziev at this live line. When he's facing guys that are putting activity on him, that's where we start to slow down, right? The Bobby Green fight. Bobby Green puts together... Uh, let me just get the actual amount here. He puts together 143 significant strikes in a 15-minute fight, but Fiziev squeaks that one out. And if everybody remembers, that's the fight where we saw Fiziev start to slow down in that third round. But then when he fights guys like, you know, the the Mark Casey's and the and the Brad Riddells, you see half of those strikes landed, half of what Bobby Green was throwing, I should say, and you see Fiziev look good from minute one to minute 15. Though Sanios is going to make it work from minute one to minute 25 with his grappling and his overall MMA game, but it's just how effective can he be in round three because that's going to be the swing round in this spot. Can he continuously put the pressure on him? Can he land takedowns? Can he even get in on Fiziev to make him work in the grappling and clinch uh, clinch realm? Because if he can't, then he's probably getting touched off from the outside, right? I think there is some warrant to Fiziev possibly finding the knockout in this spot, but I do think he just touches up at RDA because he doesn't want to overextend on anything too crazy to give up a potential takedown here to Dos Sanos. So, I'm going to go uh, Fiziev. Fiziev by decision is what I'm going to lean with, and that's currently sitting at uh, plus plus 215. I know a lot of people think that he's going to finish him inside the distance. Uh, Fiziev by KO is plus 225. I think we see this go the full 25 minutes, man. I think RDA still has enough durability about him. We've seen him looking you know, really good in his last couple fights, even though they're against short-notice opponents, but I think he's biting up more than he can chew here. I think we see Fiziev enter that top seven after a big win here against Dos Anjos. What are you thinking? Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I got Fiziev. I think he gets the victory. I th I'm leaning strongly towards the decision. I think RDA, you nailed all the points. He's gone the 25-minute, five-round distance many of times. He's. I remember when he got knocked out by Eddie Alvarez. I was like, his chin's gone. And then six years later, never been knocked out again. So durability is still there, I think, for the most part. His ability to fight 25 minutes is there. Cardio is there. There's a lot of good things you can keep uh you can you know get behind <clears throat> paul and i just discussed it at length yesterday dos Anjos likes to wrestle he just wrestle 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 either he's getting out wrestled or he's out wrestling his opponent but the last time he was in a fight that nobody got taken down was uh neil magny in 2017 right so it's been five years and it's not just some wrestling it's all wrestling him versus Colby Covington there was 10 takedowns in that fight Colby took him down seven times he took Colby down three times he got taken down 12 times by Usman. There was 10 takedowns in the Kevin Lee fight. Six for Lee, four for Dos Anjos. He got taken down three times by Edwards. Six times by Chiesa. He took down Felder six times. He took down Moicano five times. It's all wrestling. It's all wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. So in this spot, it's much of the same. He's going to try to go out there and wrestle. And even if he can't take him down early, it's five rounds. So just continuously grinding on a guy up against the cage, shooting, shooting, shooting. That should tire a guy out. And then if Fiziev tires, we have not seen him in those championship rounds. It's possible that Rafael Sanders is able to work his way back into it. But the wrestling's just not quite there for me, I don't think. I mean, he's able to take down lesser guys, but Fiziev's been working on his grappling a lot. When you come over to MMA from his striking background, it's not as if it's like, 
we need to work more on striking. It's like, nah, that's pretty good as it is. Let's work on the other skill set. And I think he's doing a good job. There's videos of him online wrestling with guys. His hips, very, very strong. There's also stories on him online, apparently owing rent money to Phuket top team in Thailand. But that's nor here nor there, right? I think he's physically strong. He's working on his wrestling. He should be able to keep this fight outright. And if he does, he should win. Here's the other thing, interesting thing about Rafael Dos Anjos is that he's actually losing these spots in the striking exchanges, right? He got outstruck by Paul Felder. He was lucky to get that split decision because it was a very close and competitive fight. Against Moicano... It was not. It was not a close fight. I'm sorry. No, okay. Paul know. was like, hey, I did not deserve any scorecards that night. Output-wise, yes, you are correct. But in terms of actually winning that fight, there was no way Paul Felder was winning that fight. There was no way Paul was winning that fight because of how you judge MMA fighting, which is yeah. grappling because of the wrestling. Because he's getting outstruck. In fact, he got outstruck officially in three of the five rounds and one of them the third round he got outstruck in the second the fourth and the fifth and the third round where he outstruck paul felder he outstruck him 13 to 12 so you got one guy that's clinging on for takedowns and one guy that's fighting so but that by those standards yeah rafael sanders won the fight i thought he won i had money on him and i was very 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 worried when they said it was a split just because what a judge is looking at. But nowadays, they're not necessarily scoring the same. They're not giving you just cage control. That's all he's been trying to do. He did get outstruck by the numbers by Paul Felder in the stand-up portions. Against Hinato Moicano, dude, low-key, he dominated Moicano with his wrestling and his grappling. But stand-up-wise, Moicano was landing pretty decent. You know, he had a lot of success in his stand-up. It's close numbers. I think at, at, at range... It, Dos Anjos has struck him 90 to 88 on the ground is where Dos Anjos racked up a lot of that striking. So again, I'm, I'm seeing him use wrestling against guys that are not good wrestlers because he can't strike with them anymore. And against Fiziv, if he can't get those takedowns and I have a suspicion he's not going to be able to get them, he's not going to stand with them. He's going to get chewed up from range. You see it time and time again in a lot of his fights. But you want to know what the swinging, the swinging factor for me was? Was uh, he fought... Tony Ferguson. Okay, yeah. So he loses to Eddie Alvarez. He got caught. He got knocked out the year's 2016. Okay. The report surfaced afterwards that he had a really bad weight cut and that he was like naked on a bathroom floor the day before the, or like an hour before weigh-ins. They drag him to the weigh-ins. He weighs in sick day of the fight and Eddie Alvarez caught him with the first shot he landed. Right. So it does make sense how a guy that's that durable got knocked out that quick. He had a bad weight cut. So the very next fight against Tony Ferguson at 155 again, Mexico City, mile high in the air. These guys go to absolute war. Crazy fight. He got hit 200 times by Tony Ferguson. He got took some serious damage. After that, Tarek Safadine, 170. Neil Magny, 170. Robbie Lawler, 170. Colby Covington and Kamaru Usman, both 170. Kevin Lee, 170. Leon Edwards, 170. Michael Chiesa, 170. Paul Felder was the return to 55. He didn't look very good to me. He relied on his wrestling, but otherwise his striking looked robotic. Paul Felder is not known for his grappling or his wrestling defense, and he had some success in getting the fight back upstanding. And then Paul Felder retired for a full-time commentary career shortly thereafter. So that's not all that impressive. And then that fight with Hanato Moicano, it's actually had a catch weight of 160. So he didn't have to melt down to 55. That weight cut's not good for him. He's going to rely on the wrestling, and when it's not there against Fazeev, Fazeev's going to take over. I think he's big. I think he's strong. He needs to keep his hips going. He needs to keep this fight in an upright position. And if he does that, he's just going to be the better striker than uh, than Rafael Sanjos. So I am going to play Fazeev. He likely ends up on the top ticket, if not the second ticket this week. But great head opportunity because you've got really good plus money here on Rafael Sanjos. And what I would suggest is 
If you plan on hedging, we're rolling good. End of the night, you know you got that money. The hedge is there. I would say maybe hedge out after the first couple rounds because Fazeev probably runs away to an early lead. And if RDA is going to win this fight, he's really going to have to get it going late, drag him down. Yeah, that that is the sketchy part here, right? We even saw with uh, a couple of weeks ago with Armin uh, Armin Sarukian and Mateo Scamra, right? The the five round experience uh, Gamra pays off there. He starts to run away with it. The later the fight goes, let's see if it ends up happening here as well. So yeah, both me and Cody on the physio side. Like I said, sorry, you 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 go on decision. What's the prop that you're going to lean on here? Yeah, I'm going to go Fiziev by decision. So officially okay. the number on that. Oh, I, the, so the two props I like is I like that over three and a half at minus 210. One of those props is not sexy because it's two to one. But at the same time, in both scenarios, if Fiziev wins, I can see him stopping him late, but I'm leaning towards decision. But three and a half, he banks three and a half. Same time with, with Rafael DeSantis. I don't think the submission game is good enough that if he gets Fiziev down, he's going to submit him right away. Although, of course, possible. I think more so it's going to be that ability to grind on him up against the cage. But the way they've been scoring fights lately, if Fazeev lands, you know, a, a crazy kick and a good right hand and he does the matrix and the other guy holds you up against the cage for three and a half minutes, they're not scoring the cage control anymore. They want full takedowns and they want established top control, ground and pound, submission attempts, transitions, pass the guard, you know, improve your position. They're looking for more than just stalling up the guy. And Rafael Los Angeles seems to be stalling up the guy. I will credit the UFC with this. You've got Fazeev, who looks like he could be a world title contender. He looks legit. You want to press him, but he doesn't got much of a name. Nobody knows who he is. He's got a cool highlight reel, but the casual fan doesn't know who he is. So let him headline a card and let him fight a guy that doesn't pose a ton of threat at this stage in his career, but he's a former world champion. You know, dude was a former lightweight champ. Dude fought at for uh, you know world title, I believe. At now nah, he never fought at 170 for world title, but a top contender at 170 that fought Kamaru Usman and fought Colby Covington and fought the good guys of the division. So RDA has the name. But I think most so this got booked so that Fiziev could, you know, get the rub off him and move forward. And for RDA, like he's got enough losses that this is just another night at the office. It's a payday. It's a career. It's what he does. He's got no problem about it. But I think uh, the marketing machine is trying to push Fiziev forward. So I'm going to take Fiziev, Fiziev by decision over three and a half. Love it. I love it. All right. Let us get into the cloud bet props that they have ready for us for this card. Then we'll get into our three best prop bets. And then we will answer that question by my man Bofo on the beat to get my man uh, Cody's thoughts on the action man's recent moves. But let's get to these props first and foremost. Firstly, we got the uh, significant strike spread back. I believe last week, uh, if we did take the minus four and a half on Sean Strickland, we probably, or sorry, plus four and a half on Sean Strickland, we would not have cashed that because he was too uh, trigger shy. He did not pull the trigger, nor did he even end up wrestling, which would have been his path to victory that night. But uh, Pereira outstrikes him by uh, 10 strikes that night before he ends up knocking him out. Now we got one for Fizia versus Dosanya. So we got Rafael Fizia at minus 26 and a half significant strikes over Rafael Dos Anjos at minus 112 each side. I'm going to go with the plus 26 and a half significant strikes for Rafael Dos Anjos, as I do think he'll, he will start to land some output a little later that this fight goes. Fiziev might get to an early start, but I do think that Dos Anjos will start to close that gap in 26 and a half. I think that's just way, way too large of a spread. What side would you be leaning on here for this one, Cody? Yeah, the spread's a little bit too big for me. I think that Rafael Sanos will obviously keep it close. But also, as much as I can say good things about Fiziev, like he himself is not a runaway output guy as well. Like He got outstruck fairly handily by Bobby Green by the numbers, but won a decision. And we know that this guy can fight a decent two rounds. The third round, he struggles. 
four and five are going to get real dicey. So even if he's got a 30 strike striking count going into the championship rounds, it'll evaporate pretty quickly. I think this is probably a closely contested fight to the tune of maybe he outstrikes him by, you know, 10 to 20 strikes, but 26 and a half seems good to me. So yeah, I, I would take uh Rafael Sanchez to cover that spread. I love it. I love it. All right. Tough alumni wins. That's going to be Trishon Gore, Michael Johnson, and Ricky Tercios. How many of those three do you think end up getting their hand raised, Cody? Gore and Tercios. So I would go with two plus 140. So I'm going to go two as well, but mine would be Gore and Johnson. So, uh, yeah, you, you might not end up catching that, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see. Plus yeah, well, yeah, you never know. That's why I, mean, I like these props, right? Like, like you can get it. A different way, even if it's not the way you think that's going to end up happening. So, uh, plus one forty, me and Cody think that at least two of the tough alumni end up getting it done. All right, fight of the night. You were originally, you know, you, you were kind of hinting at Shevchenko and Casey could turn into a, a fist fight of some sort. That's plus seventeen hundred. But after going through the full card, which fight would you lean on for being fight of the night? Uh, I'm thinking that I would go with. Uh, Rafael dos Santos versus versus Fiziev in the main event because honestly Fiziev's got a very exciting fight style. Rafael dos Santos is an absolute gamer, and it could be high emotions. Like if Fiziev puts on some world class performance and boxes him up for five rounds, it'd be pretty entertaining. If Rafael still got that dog in him and he breaks him after, especially if he loses the first round, first two rounds, maybe the first three rounds, if he comes back into this thing, drags him into deep waters and chokes him out late. They can be high emotion. My second option would be Michael Johnson, Jamie Malarkey. Same reasons. Jamie Malarkey likes to bring the pace, likes to bring the action. Michael Johnson's either going to completely knock him out or he's going to get drowned in those later rounds. So all that stuff is thrilling. People like the comeback. People like competitiveness. So uh, my main thought would be main events, five rounds, a little more higher drama, higher stakes, probably that at 650. But seeing Johnson and Malarkey at plus 900, you know, I like that price obviously a lot better. I'm going to split mine between uh, Lawrence and Kakramanov. I think that's going to be a great back-and-forth grappling fight. We'll get a lot of scrambles, a lot of exchanges. Uh, plus 800, I don't mind that. And then I'm going to throw a, a dart here at Kyle Baraglio and Armin Petrosian. Again, mm-hmm. I think there will be takedowns from the Baraglio side, but I think that Petrosian's relentlessness in terms of getting back to his feet will allow for a lot of exchanges, scrambles, You know, a lot of... Uh, uh, high drama, like you were just saying about the main main event as well. So plus 1,200 on the co-main event. I don't mind that. Yeah, and the dark horse, I think, potentially for one of them would be Jared Vander at Chase Sherman. Like, oh they're both God. sloppy-ass <laughs> heavyweights in a predominantly stand-up affair. Both guys have had fights where they've thrown over 100 significant strikes or landed over 100 significant strikes. Could just be rock and sock and robots for however long it lasts. And one guy's on a three-fight losing streak about to get fired. One guy's on a four-fight losing streak about to get fired. Who wants it, baby? That's Good emotion. Point. So uh, plus Talk about stipulations. for a couple of middling heavyweights. Not bad. I love it. Legit stipulations that can make this a banger of a fight. So good point there. All right. Uh, fastest finish. I believe this is uh, on the main card only. I don't have the full card here, but uh, main card, who do you think gets the fastest finish here? Saeed Nurmagomedov plus 500, which seems like the logical pick. Oh, no, I guess him, Malarkey, and Vander are all the same. I, I think that there's a lot of durability here. Malarkey is durable. Like Johnson could clip him, but I think he's going to win. I'm not picking against him. Fiziev, if he does get finished, which it could definitely happen, it'd be later on in the fight. Uh, Douglas Diaz Silva, that, that's the one where like, I've seen him wobbled early. I've seen guys put a beating on him. Vander is tough enough to last a couple rounds. Sherman, as long as he doesn't end up on his back, he's okay to last a couple rounds. Dos Anjos is tougher than $2 steak. 
Johnson probably does get drowned at some point, but I could see him hanging on for decision. In fact, I am picking Malarkey by decision. And Baralo and Petrosian are both super durable. Fight probably goes the distance. So by way of there might only be a couple finishes, I think Saeed lands one of them, and therefore at plus 500, I think he'd be my logical choice. Yeah, I'll go uh, either Nermag... I'm split between three. Nermagomedov, Johnson could absolutely get off on the first round, and and Petrosian. I think Petrosian could find that chin of Baralo and put him out as well. And that might end up coming early if Baralo gets a little bit too desperate with the takedowns there. All right, last prop here uh, i wanted them to uh word it a little bit better here but my thing was will fizzy have seen the uh, main event rounds for the first time in his career which is pretty much will round four start at minus 257 what are you thinking we th you think we get a round four in the main event well i do love cloud bets but let me just check that never sounds really bad to me no uh let's see here will round four start <laughs> Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I'm looking at a yeah. I'm looking at a minus one eighty five or Bovada's oh, wow. offering it at minus two hundred, right? And this is listed at two fifty seven. Two fifty seven for fight. I'm seeing minus two fifty on DraftKings, minus two ten. Oh, you on know what? Yeah, fight starts round four. Yeah, okay. So it just needs to yeah. complete three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm gonna say that it does. I like the over three and a half. So that's that's where I would be. I think uh I can see the case for both guys. I just think it's going to go later. Rafael Sanos could win this fight, but he's going to need to drag it into the fourth or fifth. And for Fiziev, maybe you get the early knockout. But if this guy doesn't have a bad weight cut and he fights the way he traditionally fights, he's going to be in it to win it for 25 full minutes. So fight to start round four. Yeah, minus 257 is the common market price, I suppose. Um, yeah, I would say I would say yes, but that's not a great price. You know, like yeah. it's, it's, it's four juicy. rounds of two guys that are going to bang it out. One guy's a world-class striker. The other guy's a world-class fighter, right? And that's a long time to be locked in a cage with a guy for 257. Women's MMA, I get. Courtney Casey, she's probably going to be locked into a cage for the full distance. This is 25 minutes and a worse yeah. price. So you're going to have to, uh, going to probably have to pass on that one. But that's what I would take, yeah. I'd be right there with you. All right, let's move on to the three best prop bets. And I will kick it off as always. First and foremost, I'm going to go Kakramanov by decision at plus 330. I think he outworks Ronnie Lawrence. I think he lands the more damaging strikes. I think he shuts down the uh, relentless takedown game of uh, Ronnie Lawrence while uh, shutting down the face of Ronnie Lawrence by uh, touching him up for the majority of those 15 minutes, taking that decision home. Secondly, I'm going to go with uh, Trishan Gore via KO at plus 250. I think he stops a couple of the takedowns of Brundage. Brundage maybe gets up from a couple of them as well, but it's just a matter of time before that speed and power takes over and Gore finds that knockout blow on Cody Brundage. Lastly, I'm going to go Johnson Malarkey under two and a half. It's minus 170. I do think that there's going to be a tremendous amount of violence in this fight. I do think it ends up coming from Johnson early here. I think he knocks him out probably in the first round, but I do think that Malarkey can push him to the brink in rounds two or round three and possibly finish him as well. So if you want to take a little extra juice and take the fight, doesn't go to decision instead, I'm not hating on that at all as we've absolutely been, you know, kicked in the butt a couple times by taking the under two and a half instead of fight goes to decision. And the one that came to mind that we were talking about earlier on this podcast, Cody was, um, uh, fucking Jillian Robertson and Courtney Casey. I had the under two and a half there and then she submits her with 40 seconds left. So that's just fucking great. Uh, so yeah, take fight. Doesn't go to decision. If you guys want, I sort of mind under two and a half at minus half at minus one seventy. All right, Cody, your turn, my friend. 
Yeah, yeah. I got a couple different opinions, but we're going to go Shevchenko by decision, plus 125. Again, like, she's definitely the less of the two sisters, but I think she's got Courtney Casey's number with a stand-up, you know, better striker, hopefully a little bit more output. But the ability to transition and mix in a few takedowns, they should be there. Everybody that fights Courtney Casey, the takedowns are there. I think Shevchenko will do exploit them to a certain extent, plus 125. Fights going the distance. We know that. We just got to be on the right side of it. We're taking Shevchenko, Shevchenko by decision. Moving on, I got to go against you, man. I got Ronnie Lawrence. Ronnie Lawrence is a workhorse, dude. He's a machine. He just keeps working, working, working. And that looks good to the judges. Ultimately, this fight probably goes 15. It's probably going to decision. So who did more? The guy that worked harder. Kakramanov is a fine talent, but you see he's easily, not easily, but you can control him up against the cage. And his striking output, not quite there. The takedown defense, not bad. But again, not like this is he's any world class in any one area. He could maybe clip Ronnie Lawrence. Nobody's done it yet. Ronnie Lawrence never been knocked out. Mana Martinez had him wobbly a few times, but Mana Martinez absolutely cracks, right? So I'm inclined to give him a pass there. The price at the decision plus 145, it looked good to me. So I think Lawrence is going to outwork him, get the job done. And then moving on, we got to take a bit of a shot. We're going with uh, Keo Barahao at uh, by decision at plus 225. Again, I just think that he's going to end up with the top control. It's his ability to not need 10 takedowns. He only needs a few of them. And when he does establish top control, he's a, he's very good with it. Arm Trojan, as you mentioned, he doesn't accept position. He scrams a lot. He's constantly trying to get up to his feet. But against a big, strong, physically fit guy like uh, Barahao, I think if he does get the takedowns, he's going to use them to great effect. His striking's good as well. I'm a little bit nervous about the volume and the output. But again, this is a fight that I think he can control. Control and go 225. Now, if you want to get real greasy with it, and if you don't mind these decisions, which, as I don't mind decisions, <laughs> Ian Gary, the only one I hit last week, <clears throat> uh, the Chase Sherman by decision at plus 500, I'm still thinking about that shit. Like, it's probably going to be tit-for-tat, greasy fight. The price just seems real good on it. But at the end of the day, everybody's agreeing. If you're a UFC fan, you're a fight fan, you're any fan, you got to admit this is a very untrustworthy looking card. Like there's so many apple pie shitters on it. Yeah. There's so many people that are two long year long layoff, three year long layoff, might have retired last time, uh, coming off a big injury, not motivated. Um, and of course a fine main event, which does have a lot of red flags associated with it as well. So, you know, buyer beware, be careful, be safe. But uh yeah, this is what we do. We have fun with it. And you know, if you hit just your Kakramanov by decision, you're profitable. If you hit just Gore by decision or by KO, you're profitable. I like that second one, by the way. Um, you know, if I if I can hit I eh, my bro, if I hit up, you don't need much when you're hitting good plus money. So yeah. maybe props is the way to attack this one. But of course, I will be putting out parlays on Saturday because that's where the real that's money is, baby. And at 10:30 tonight, when that BFL card starts, that's where the real money is, baby. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah, excited as all. Uh, before we do get out here, I do want to uh, give you this question from my guy, Bufo on the B. He's saying, before we go, please ask Cody about his preliminary comments on our boy Axman stepping in on short notice to face uh, Jack Manson now that Darren Till is out. It's going to be a great fight. Hashtag Action Man. Hashtag Free Money. What are you thinking, man? We we know Curtis, normally a 170-er, continues this run at 185 pounds, taking on a top guy here in Jack Manson. What do you think his uh, chances are from an early early thoughts perspective? Yeah, well, I, I'm actually very happy and also very sad. Very happy because Action Man Chris Curtis co-main event status against a ranked contender Jack Hermanson finally getting his deuce. And I think he's going to win. I'm also real sad because I got this like uh, future. It's uh, will Darren Till fight for Bellator in 2023? I said yes, <laughs> but I need him to fight and lose in order to get released. Him pulling out a fight is no good for me. So just going to rebook him at Where a later date. Where are you getting that, date. that type of prop? 
It's on it's on Bodog. It's one of their like exotic really. Teams. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> will Darren Till compete for Bellator by 2023? Of course. Of course he will. Plus one seventy, dog. Not bad. Wow. Um bad. so I, I I need him to compete and lose in order to get released. So him getting you know rebooked, rescheduled, not great. But yeah, honestly, Action Man should be fighting at 170, but at 185 pounds, he's definitely uh crafted a little niche for him. He's got superior striking. He's got, you know, the better boxing than Jack Hermanson. It, it comes down to the same thing that it did in his last fight, which is his takedown defense. If he can keep this yeah. fight standing, he'll box Jack up. If he's giving up takedowns, he'll work his way back up to his feet. But aesthetically, it's appeasing for the judges to see one guy getting takedowns ending up on top. So Hermanson's been spending a lot of time working with Kamzat Chemaev, and that will be a definite benefit for him. But to the flip side, action man Chris Curtis worked with Chemaev a lot of himself. So... I think he goes out there and he does what he does. He stuffs the takedowns. He keeps it standing and he boxes them up. The one thing I will say, actually, man, my boy, I'm not picking against him, but uh, there becomes a burnout effect for these guys that fight so frequently. And in his case, he's 34 years old. He signs to the UFC. He's very vocal about the fact that he's completely dead broke when he signed his UFC contract. So you knock out Phil Hawes and you get some money. And then you go out there and you knock out Brandon Allen, two back-to-back bonuses, plus his win and show money, plus his um, the Reebok deal or the Venom deal now. And you follow that up with a, not a fight of the night, but no stretch, no performance bonus, but another solid victory. Now you're taking this another paycheck for Jack Hermanson. At 34 years old, and he's got a significant wrist injury, he's going to eventually hit this burnout where like his body just won't react in the fight. Not, not that he doesn't want it, but it's just like the body's going to have an adrenaline dump at some point. And fighting overseas on short notice against a top guy like Jack Hermanson that's going to press the pace on you, you know, is, is worrisome. But I wish it was one of those co-mains they made five rounds or a main event on a shitty fight night. Not that Chris Curtis is... Should, shitty fight night material, but they would never let him headline unless it was a top five guy or a shitty fight night. So he's a five round fighter. My worry in the Hermanson fight is he could get drowned for a few early rounds before turning it on late and therefore lose a, a close 29 28 enemy territory. But regardless, I, I think Action Man gets the job done, stuffs him, uh, sprawl and brawls his way to a victory like he always does. I'm hoping that uh, we get a damn good line on Hermanson because I'm going to be taking a shot on Hermanson there. I think it's just a matter of time before the middleweights and the size gets to Chris Curtis. And when you have a physical guy like Jack Hermanson with a solid gra- grappling game, I think it's just a matter of time before Curtis gets muzzled. And I I'll, think th- I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something about uh, Chris Curtis. So when I met him, he was the action man. And still to this day, he is the action man. Only low-key, he himself tried to change his name to the King of Combat. Now it was like, why would you want to drop Action Man? It's the best name going right wesley snipes man come on right anyways uh the demolition man the action man the running man it's like it's 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 a badass but in his mind it was like yeah i'm just gonna be on the you know regional scene i'm just gonna fight anybody i'm the king combat i'll fight anybody so we had offered him fights at 170 he took them all he never turned down one guy he never turned down no man on this planet at 170 pounds at 185 only one man he ever turned down at 185 pounds was elias theodoro his reasoning is I want to fight somebody who wants to fight me back. It was like, <laughs> that's pretty uh, admirable to be honest with you. Like that's actually really, this guy's badass. Like that turning down Elias, I thought, what the fuck man? And then it was like, no, no, this guy's got the right mindset. He's like, I want to get punched in the face and I want to punch this guy back. So we offered him tons of middleweights. Guys eventually didn't want to fight him at 185. So he took a fight with Jerome Thatch. It's on his record. He fights Jerome Thatch at 205 pounds. Now action man's listed 5'10", but he ain't 5'10". He's like 5'8". He fought Jerome Thatch at 205, whipped his ass, and then they offered him a heavyweight fight. And he was like, I'm going to take it because if I ain't fighting in the UFC, I might as well have some cool claim to fame that I was the guy that fought four weight classes in the same fiscal year. I know, dude. So he was like, I'm just going to take this heavyweight fight and fight this dude. And then they called him to fight Phil Hawes. Well, they called him to fight uh, Evan Cutts. 
And then the cuts fight fell apart because he took the Phil Hawes fight at short notice and jumped into the UFC. But it was like, this guy just likes to fight. He likes to scrap and like weight class to him. It don't mean shit. So as much as it's like, oh man, he should be fighting at 85. It's like, I don't think it really matters to him, to be honest. Like he trains with the best guys in the world, the extreme couture syndicate MMA, you know, the guys in Vegas. He's a longtime training partner, Sean Strickland, Dan Henderson, a lot of the guys that were in Temecula, California at the time. He's 34 years old. He's not some prospect that's like, oh, he needs to go overcome some trials and tribulations. It's like, no, dude, his whole career was trials and tribulations. Yeah. Like he knows what he's doing when he gets in there. And for Hermanson, Hermanson's not a very good striker. And so it's one guy that's one-dimensional. Hermanson's one-dimensional with grappling versus a guy that's very well-rounded in, in, in Chris Curtis. So I accept where you're coming from. And I would take you up on a shoey bet. Oh no, you got a long beard. Yeah, shoeys are long. Do beard. I always have to trim up before I take a shoey because it's uh, <laughs> it's a mess otherwise. Um, I don't know. Maybe on the show that I do some type of funny challenge to do, but uh, I got to ride with my boy Chris Curtis. Uh, on the show that I do with Clint, usually when I pay up on bets, it's by doing a power hour. So yeah, yesterday I did a power hour where I took a shot of beer every two minutes for the entirety of the podcast, and I got nice and sloshed by the end of it. I think I got through like five or six beers at that time and within an hour's time that's a lot and i got i got i got touched up a little bit so we'll, we'll figure it's not it out how much you drink it's how fast you yes. drink even I yesterday paulie he uh shoeyed um uh mots clamato like a season <laughs> you guys are savages man you guys are <laughs> fucking savages. he's like yo man like oh, dude i uh you know i haven't feeling all that good you know went to the doctors and geez man like i i got this disease and i'm just like holy shit man like my dog's like he's sick yeah. like what's wrong like, what was happening man he's like man he's got these rashes breaking out i'm like from what what was he? he's like dude celiac i'm like <laughs> celiac like like you can't you can't eat bread and he's like gluten man i can't eat gluten i'm like no fucking way so now he won't shotgun a beer he shotguns uh seltzers or Monteclamados. like it's great dude but he told me he was like yeah some guy messaged me and he's like dude stop doing those nobody wants to see you guys you know drink out of a shoe like pass on and i was like i think that guy's probably wrong i get through enjoyment out of watching yeah. I hate doing it I hate doing it but people i love, love when watching one over it. on the old boy because i yeah. like seeing him do it we'll, we'll figure something out eventually but it seems like we're gonna have our first legit head-to-head -head here uh with curtis and and Hermanso, which is only a couple weeks away right so i think it's uh july 23rd so we'll talk about a little bit more once we get close there all right let's wrap this thing up we're coming up on two and a half hours of doing this show uh anything you want to say on the back end and then i'll wrap this thing up my friend no, I've been talking long enough as it is. So thanks to everybody that came out to uh, join the live show effort. If you watch the replay tomorrow, always much appreciated as well. And yeah, everything you do to support the channel, support Manpreet, support CloudBets, uh, support All-Star, like everything at all leads to the same thing. So even something as significant as like a like or a retweet or a mention or anything like that in the algorithms, it all adds up. So if you like what we do, we really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, give them a like and a follow and a, a subscribe and it all goes somewhere. So thanks as always. BFL tonight. There is an LFA on Friday. I don't know if I'm going to waste my time tape searching it. But uh, regardless, we've got big horse race on Saturday and some uh, good UFC fights to watch afterwards. So looking forward. There you guys go. Good luck on the horse racing, Cody, as always. Good luck on BFL tonight. Hopefully you're able to cash some big bets there. Are you going to release anything on Twitter for, for the fans that, that want to well, follow along? Well, my not? book, I had to hassle my book in order to open the lines, and yeah. they set it at 7 o'clock they were closing it. So on my book, it would be currently closed at 7.40, mm -hmm. right? So I, I don't know to, like, how many people it would be. Yeah, maybe it's not even worth it at this point. point. But, like, but if your book, the fights don't start till 10.30, so... There is at least a, 
there's at least a possibility that it's open. So sorry, let me just bring up the official card yeah, no and worries. I'll give you like a quick little rundown. You can turn off the show at this point, but if you were planning on betting, <laughs> this is uh, officially what I'm going with. So yeah, main event. I know you're saying earlier, did your your boy got a chance? Uh, you got and two no, boys on this card. I don't. I I know he doesn't have a chance. I'm not being honest. Yeah. <laughs> so you got Austin Batra versus this Navid Zanganai. Uh, Zanganai is making his pro debut, but he's coming in north of like minus three fifty. And my book was minus four twenty five, and I would consider that to be a pretty good price. But Zanganai is like an Iranian wrestling champion. Dude's an absolute stud. You know, represented a lot of top tournaments. He was supposed to make his pro debut on this card against Mike McCallum. McCallum's like an eight fight veteran, BJJ black belt, really good fighter. McCallum bailed. So. Zanganai guy's an absolute stud. Nobody wants to fight him. He's going to be a problem. And for Austin Batra, tough guy, no doubt about it. But, you know, 4-2 as an amateur, 0-2 as a pro. He seems to not have much durability. Uh, he got beat up by a guy, Shawn Michaels, HBK, but not the HBK. Bad news, bad news. So, he by the way, was... sorry, search up Austin Batra on YouTube, and there's this thing where he, like, knocks out a guy and then does something completely stupid. And, like, he, he tries to Dan handle him. Pretty much with the double back, uh, double hammer fist, and the, the fight gets called off, and he loses the fight, even though yeah, he knocked yeah. out the guy. He ends up getting disqualified from yeah, it. That's what it was. Like, oh, it's all God. over, it's all over YouTube if you just search his name. Yeah, I mean, the guy was fighting Perry Hayer is five and seven, and it was 30 yeah. seconds into the fight. So I was like, What are you doing? But yeah, after that, he ended up taking a year off, coming back, and got verbally submitted two minutes in against Shawn Michaels, which is not good, and then he lost to Christian Tremaine. My first round knockout, also not particularly good. He's low level. He's in there because they want to debut Zanganai. And you're getting at minus 425, minus 350 range. Like, yeah, that's a good price tag. That's going to be the anchor of most of your stuff. This Azuga and Yeltsin, he's like minus 150 right now. I would say he wins. Problem is, is that like 4-1 as an amateur, solid victories over Amin Amalek and uh, Manny El Hafwai. So good amateur victories, and he's 2-0 and as a pro. Has fought weak guys as a pro. But it looks like he's well on his way. This Ali Wasik's just got more experience, you know, four and two. He fought for the BFL world title in his not world title, but I know Canadian title in his last fight against Siri City, got TKO'd in the fourth, but showed up in excellent shape, put up a valiant effort. This one could be considered greasy. I would yield towards Yelson, but you could pass altogether. The money here is I think Alan Adam DeFreitas. He was even money against Christian Tremaine. Adam DeFreitas is a BJJ Brown belt, very excellent striking. He's one and two as a pro, but I mean, both of his losses are to high level guys. He was also a really decorated amateur fighter, 34 years old. He's like a correction officer. And he's also like a hand to hand close quarter tactical instructor for like fighting people in close quarters. Guy's actually a stud. He just hasn't had really the opportunity as a ton of guys fall out. If you look at his fights, interestingly enough, his last fight is a split decision loss in CFFC. CFFC is a bomb ass American regional. This guy went out of his way to travel down there, got robbed on a split decision. And then the other loss is Zach Powell. Zach Powell's like 6-0 and right now, 6-1. and So, you know, they're high-level losses. This Christian Tremaine guy, they were supposed to fight three months ago. Christian Tremaine pulled out fight week with like a little finger injury, and DeFreitas blasted him. You are a pussy. Nobody pulls out with a, dirty, with a finger injury like that. Christian Tremaine got backed into a corner to taking the fight. So he took the rematch. DeFreitas is even money. Josh Quintowski, he's plus 185. That's my dog of the card. Ash Mishregi's minus 210. Mishregi just, uh, he hasn't fought in four years, but he's like on a lot of steroids and he trains with a high level of guys. He's coming off a loss to a guy that's two and five because he was hurt. Four years off and the amount of steroids he has, he's going to smash right through Jungle James Foster. <laughs> and then you got a couple big favorites on the first two cards, Rafael Ouellette and uh, Samson Bieri. And like, I think they both should win, but the problem is, is they fought low level and they're making their pro debuts and they're fighting guys that are also low level making 
one guy's 0-3, but like it, it, you don't want to pay minus 500 on guys debuting against shitty opponents. Like it's a little bit of a high price tag, but the favorite's there. So it's an all favorites card. The value being that a plus 185 pick on Josh Quintowski and an even money pick on Adam DeFreitas. And yeah, you parlay them together and you get some action. So hopefully things go good there. And then, yeah, I, I, again, LFA, there's a lot of fights on the card. I don't know if I care to look at it. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, yeah, Saturday. Saturday, hopefully that's where the money is. There you guys go. In case anybody wants some DGen BFO action tonight, there you guys have it from my guy Cody. For myself, I'll be gone to a weekend concert tomorrow at the Rogers Center. I cannot wait for that. I'm super psyched for it. What concert? I, uh, the weekend. Oh, oh. Yeah. yeah. He's doing the Rogers Center. Yeah, like, I mean, fucking huge. Like, you're massive. into that shit. <laughs> yeah, of course I am. I'm a huge weekend fan. So Are I'm you? Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to it. It's the first uh, concert of that tour that he's doing as well. So it should be a great show. And not to mention his home fucking town. So it should be a great fucking concert regardless. Uh, and then the fights the day after that, if I'm not too hungover, hopefully I can do my fight day live chat and then get right into the fights for you guys as well. Uh, Cody, as always, appreciate you doing uh, taking the time and doing these shows uh, on the All-Star. Shout out to the All-Star as well. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below if you haven't already good luck on your bets this week and we'll be back next week to break down ufc long island which is headlined by yair rodriguez and brian ortega great fight there can't wait to break it down with my guy cody until then gamble safely we'll see you guys gamble responsibly safely responsibly same shit we'll see you guys next week